hour in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. You know, this is one of the episodes of the Paracast where we hardly have to do any work other than read listener questions. For the appearance of Richard Dolan, we've gotten quite a few. Yeah, more than we're going to be able to handle. (laughs) Yeah, one of our listeners asked, what, a dozen questions or something like that? Easily, yeah. So, really, they can just do the interview. We'll sit back and read questions, and that's it. Let me tell you, before we get on, there is a topic that shall not be named that will be dealt with at the start of our interview, and that's it. (laughs) Obviously, we have to ask uh, a couple of questions, but... I, I really don't want to get into the minutiae. I do have a source, by the way, uh, that I'm plumbing at the reservation right now. And I'm 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 waiting. F- uh, I was told within 48 hours, I should at least have an indication of whether um, we can actually get uh, photographs of the of the deceased um, before it's buried. And I have somebody working on that from the back door. So it should be interesting. I, I hope, uh, you know, all respect to the. Uh, Dearly departed, but, um, you know, to put this thing uh, uh, to bed, finally, you know, put a huge railroad spike right in the uh, the old coffin here. I think it's important. Plus, didn't Jaime say that if somebody could get a photograph, it was worth 15 grand or something? Uh, <laughs> somebody told me that. I'll tell you what, you get a photo, uh, I'll take 5%. Okay. But I'll have nothing to do with it, so probably I don't deserve anything. But, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying. Just trolling for a little bit of extra cash there. So if it works, fine. You know, we talk so much here about conspiracy theories on the Paracast. Let me give you a conspiracy theory that has nothing to do with the paranormal. Oh, boy. But you're in the music business, so you appreciate this. So here we go. So as this show was broadcast a little over a week ago, one of the most famous musical artists of our time, Taylor Swift, 25 years of age, writes this blog entry, a Tumblr, complaining that Apple is not going to pay royalties for the first 90 days on their new Apple Music service. That's when you get a free trial. So anyone who signs up, you get the free service for 90 days and you have to pay for it. During that 90-day period, they'll pay no royalties. That was the original plan. And she said, no, that's no good. She will withhold her album called 1989. By the way, that's her birth year, 1989. That's why... She calls the album 1989. You know, oh how original. What you say? She's a baby. Yeah, she's, she is younger than my son, who was born in 1986. Boy, I feel old. And she's taller than my son also, by the way. But we don't want to get into that. All right, seriously speaking. Okay, so she complains to Apple. That evening, an Apple executive named Eddie Q says he talked to Tim Cook, the CEO, and they agreed to pay the royalties. And since then, they have made arrangements with a load of indie artists and labels to pay a royalty during this 90-day trial period. Good for them. Now, think of all the free publicity that Apple and Taylor Swift have received as a result of this. So what's the conspiracy? Conspiracy its ugly head. (laughs) What's the conspiracy, folks? It was a put-up job. It's like the worldwide rustling thing. You know, where you have the good rustlers, the bad rustlers pretend to be enemies and they stage a fake fight. Right. Well, you know, when you're as good looking as Taylor Swift and as talented a songwriter and crossover artist like that and a fashion maven, 
hey, more power to her. You know, I think Apple's smart to utilize the uh, the charm and the uh, the talent. If that's indeed what happened, yeah. Interesting conspiracy theory. I don't know whether it's true or whether it's worth anything. But remember here, think- they're selling product. Yeah. Okay. If if it was Microsoft, we wouldn't be talking about this. You know, you know, our listeners know that. But Microsoft wouldn't be smart enough to do this. <laughs> okay. Hey, Gene has another show. It's called Tech Night Out Live. And boy, I'll tell you, if you like Max, he's your guy. It's not just about Max, my friend. Well, it's a- we talk about security. We yeah, no, talked about it's, other it's, stuff other than yeah. Apple products. But do you ever mention the word PC if, unless you absolutely have to? Well, one of our regular guests is a guy named Avram Pilch. He's the online editorial director from Laptop Magazine. And I assure oh, you, oh, okay, we yeah. talk about a lot oh, more yeah. than Macs. Yep. And Linux, too. Sometimes. <laughs> Not so much. I mean... Well, we got a really exciting show uh, to do here. I, you know, it's always fun to have Richard on. He's very articulate. Uh, he's gotten himself into a little bit of controversy here as of late. So, obviously, we're going to have to get his thoughts on that. And... You know, it's uh, it's been a while since the second volume of the uh, UFOs and National Security State came out. I wonder where he's at with that all important 90 to uh, 2000. Uh, I'm not sure what the dates are on it, but I think it starts at what, about 93 or 92 and goes to uh, to the present day, I think, or close to it. We'll have to ask him about that. It's been a while. Right. He had that book, of course, about UFOs in the 21st century mind. That was one that came out, what, a year or two ago? No, it was about a year, and it came out about the same time my book did, a little after. So it would have been a a year ago. Yeah, it's a good book. I recommend it for people who are new to the field, listeners. uh, You know, I don't normally go on the air and recommend books, but I'll tell you, I was very impressed with Richard's treatment of the subject. You know, there's a few things in there that, you know, inside baseball stuff that I might you know, differ with him. But in terms of looking at the phenomenon from a cultural and a political perspective, um, along with, you know, aerospace and, and, and other outlier, you know, type topics, uh, I think it's very, very well done. And and even someone uh, who's well-versed in the field and is, has read all, a lot of the classics uh, will learn something from it. It's very, very well done. And I'm, I'm glad he took the time to do it. It's also very, it's an extensive book too. It's 500 something pages. I mean, it's it's a big book, and uh, it's a great reference uh, source. And now we'll just have to charge Richard for that uh, wonderful commercial. <laughs> we have special rates for Richard, I'll tell him. By the way, he also wrote that book with Bryce Sable. Right, After Disclosure. A.D. After Disclosure, and we had a lot of fun talking about that. Yeah. So okay. he's done a lot of interesting work, and he has a publishing company now. And he brings out several books a year. A small press, bringing out some interesting books. I have to ask him about Ron Regeer's book, uh, another damn book on Roswell. Some pretty interesting stuff in there. I've read it. And it's, oh, man, something new about Roswell. Just, oh, well, you know, it's going to come out. So, you know, might as well get it all out there. (laughs) Put it out there. Keep it out there. We'll ask, yeah, we'll ask uh, Richard about, about that book. It should be interesting to hear what he has to say. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where we take that. Yep. In the meantime, uh, Camera Project uh, is going to be moving ahead, and so are we here at the Paracast. We've got a big show, a lot of questions. 
Remember, if you want to be part of the questioning process here and be part of our virtual panel, go to forum.theparacast.com, look for the question thread, you know, sign up first, uh, look for the question thread, and you can post uh, questions a week ahead of time, uh, generally, for our guests. That's how we do it, by the way. That's the secret. Now, some people have said, why don't you just take phone calls? And the problem with that is we're recording this show at different times. If we did it live for GCM, they could handle it on their network console, but not at 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, after all, we wouldn't ask guests to be there at that hour. The advantage of what we do, I think, is that we can work with the guests to set an ideal schedule, and they're awake. I know whenever I've done an all-night radio show, it's not my comfort zone. I'm not awake for it. By the way, we want you to be awake and realize there's not much time left. Chris is going to tell me one day, I can't keep giving away copies of Stalking the Tricksters, but here's how you get it. Go to plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S.theparacast.com. Sign up for the Paracast Plus. Get access to After the Paracast, exclusive access to our second radio show. Get the ad-free version of this show. And if you subscribe for a year or more, you get a copy of Chris's book, plus.theparacast.com. Richard Dolan coming next. You're in the Paracast. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TECHNIGHTOWL for a special discount. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. As if chlorine in our water weren't bad enough, now they're adding ammonia? It's true. Some municipalities are now adding ammonia plus chlorine to your water supply. It's a disinfectant called chloramine. 
But with a trusted Big Berkey water filter, you can keep chloramine out of your water. New NSF EPA certified lab tests show EPA Berkey water filters remove chloramines, pharmaceuticals, BPA, pesticides, bacteria and viruses, all forms of fluoride, and much more. Big Berkey water filters are the original and most trusted on the market. The gold standard in water purification. And our filters last for years at less than two cents per gallon. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get your Big Berkey today. Call 1-877-99-BERKEY or click BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water. Friends, this is Alex Jones for MidasResources.com. For more than 15 years, I have exclusively used Midas Resources for all my precious metal needs. Whether it's bullion or collectibles you're looking for, Midas Resources is simply the best. I own my gold as a hedge against inflation. This Federal Reserve fiat currency could go the way of the Deutschmark and the Weimar Republic anytime. In these historically dangerous times, it makes sense to physically hold gold and silver. Midas already has some of the best deals in the industry. But if you give them a call and mention the radio special, they will give you a list of the day's super specials. Midas Brokers are standing by to answer all your questions at 800-686-2237. They also have a lot of informative free literature explaining the opportunities and risk of holding precious metals. They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So before this segment began, I was looking up Richard Dolan's bio and found out that a thousand or two years ago, not that long, you know, not as long as I've been around. He was born in Brooklyn, New York, my old hometown. And we're talking about the old neighborhood. Now, understand, my old neighborhood was Newport Street near Hopkinson Avenue in the Brownsville section. And I lived there, I don't know, five or six years, maybe more than that. I lived there, I think, until my late brother Wally got married. But right now, I don't think it's much of a neighborhood. A lot of parts of Brooklyn, by the way, are really exclusive neighborhoods now. They do filming there. They have beautiful homes. Richard, you weren't born in a slum, were you? No, I, I wasn't, Gene. I was born in a very kind of uh, working-class neighborhood, though, in Brooklyn. I was born uh, in Kings County Hospital in 1962. And for the first nearly five years of my life, I lived on 1386 Green Avenue. I'm looking right here at a map right near Knickerbocker Avenue. Uh, in the kind of north, not far from Queens, looks like. Not far from, uh, even not far from Jamaica Avenue, I'm seeing here on the map. I haven't been back there in a long time. You were down in Brownsville? My dad was a cop in Brownsville back in the 70s. Well, that's well, after I left that area. I, I would think so. It, it, it got to be a really, really tough slum, actually, during the 70s. It was the 75th precinct, in fact. I, I had many, many conversations with my dad about that area. I'll have to look up the address, 102 Newport Street, Brooklyn, New York. And see what comes cool. up. Hey, people from Brooklyn got to stick together. That's what I say. 
We really you don't, do. You don't sound like you're from Brooklyn. Where'd you move move from after that? Uh, I moved. I moved or to two. Long Island. Okay. Just talk like this. They'll talk like this. Everybody. Yeah. Long Island. When I first uh, came back from my first semester in college, I had gone upstate New York, and um, this is exactly true. I had a friend. I, I'm hanging out with him after my first semester in college, and back on Long Island, and he said exact words. Hey, uh, Richie, what's wrong with you? You don't talk normal no more. And that <laughs> is exactly how every one of my friends, that's how, I think how I talked when I was growing up. I, I'm pretty sure I sounded exactly like that. But when I left the area, I became aware that, oh, wow, there's like a whole world of people who don't sound exactly like they're from New York yeah. or Long Island. <laughs> While you were talking, I went onto Google Maps. Mm-hmm. I found a street view of 102 Newport Street, taken in 2013. It looks to me like it's the very same brick house, kind of a brick okay. row house. It was a four-family house. So you had a family in the front and rear on both floors. And it looks kind of grungy, but not as bad as I thought it would. Well, check it out. I'm looking at, I think I've got 1386 Green Avenue. The neighborhood actually looks nicer now. And when I was living there, I got to make sure I'm looking at the exact, I think I see it. Anyway, (laughs) this is kind of fun to look at. The cars look newer, that's for sure. Hey, I lived in the southernmost house in Riverdale, right on the Spite and Dial River underneath the Henry Hudson Parkway Bridge. Wow, we're all all from the same general area there. Well, not really. I mean, I'm just across the the northern tip of Manhattan. That's close enough. In the grand scheme of things. Well, I I only lived there two years, but then I lived in Manhattan for, what, eight years. Okay, the other thing we have Uh, on Hopkinson here, we have the Church of the Living God, reaching all nations, and next to that we have a deli. (laughs) Always with the delis in New York. Everything with the delis. Yeah. Where would you be without the, the Second Avenue deli? Best matzo ball soup on the planet. You know, I feel bad about that because sometimes we try the mishmash soup here at Chompy's in the Phoenix area. And that's a mixture of the matzo balls and the craplock and all that stuff. All that stuff mixed together. They call it craplock for a reason. Yeah, well, they call it crap, I think. No, it's pretty decent, but nowhere near as good. (laughs) Listen, folks, this is not the old neighborhood show. You might think it is. But I thought before we get started with a million and one questions of Richard Dolan, we'll ask him the one, the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Oh, man. About the topic that shall not be named. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And when we had the event in Mexico City, I caught Richard. I kind of grabbed him by the neck or something online on Skype and said, come on the show for a few minutes. And he did. He was gracious about it. I can't remember what I said. I probably said something really... You have a chance now to change what you said because this is it. I just want... No, you didn't say anything. You you, no. you were very circumspect about the whole thing. And, um, you know, yeah, you said, so, hey. no, I'm, I'm actually glad. I'm, I'm glad to have a chance to do this. So, um, yeah. I'm almost amused or bemused by some of the people who say, well, Richard Dolan needs to apologize for going down and saying, I'm like, what? what? I love it. Um, And and then now there's there's someone, I don't even know who this guy is, some assistant MUFON state director who who thinks that I should be banned from, is it MUFON or all conferences? We had this mentioned in this week's, this past week's episode of After the Powercast. He said you and Tom Carey and Donald Schmidt 
and Anthony Begalia, and certainly Jaime Musan, anyone associated with this enterprise, for whatever reason, should be banned from MUFON conferences. I really don't care. I mean, first, I don't even know who this guy is. Who, who is he? He's the chief investigator. What does that mean? What's his name? I, I don't know. I, I've never heard of him before. I think, where is he from, Gene? Wisconsin or someplace? Or Something like that. I mean, yeah. I had the news clip with so me no one knows I was mentioning guy. this. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Well, anyway. I, I know I mean, pretty much everybody in the field, or at least I've met them and have, have their name in my phone book, you know. I've been um, in this field long enough to annoy MUFON more than once. I, I've been unofficially banned. Yeah, when I, was the last time you spoke at MUFON? Uh, 2011. And, and before that, I spoke five times in the space of 10 years. They, they loved me. I, they had me there every year, yeah, every yeah. other year. And then in 2011, I angered the entire MUFON elite, actually, by uh, talking unexpectedly to them about the need for MUFON to reform. I said this at the end right. of my lecture. Right, right, right. And um, it went yeah, down. It sit well. You know, it, well, it was, it was very well received by the MUFON attendees, I will say that. Right. But the, uh, Clifford Clift, who was the international director at the time, got very angry. Right. And I've, I've never been invited back. So I'm like, whatever. I knew that would happen probably when I gave my uh, remark at the time. Well, you brought up a good point, I think. And also, um, I think there should be accountability when when MUFON is using this Hangar One show, which, you know, which you do appear on and you, you sound sound good. What? No, I'm on it too, but there's there's issues with that show too, and maybe we, I, I try to I have to talk carefully about it since I am on it, but right. I, I don't mind talking about it. And relating to this news thing, so the whole Roswell slide, yeah. so Roswell first things first here. I've never referred to those as the Roswell slides. I've always said the so-called Roswell slides, and and uh, the thing is. As I've said a hundred times, I'll say again, I went down, I was requested to go down. I was never asked to endorse the slides one way or the other. And that's the fact. I was yeah. never brought down so that I would say, oh, yes, these are certainly a depiction of an alien body. So and you were just there to bear witness, basically. I was, Jaime Musan literally asked me to talk about the implications of, for disclosure if, if these were legitimate. That was exactly what he asked me to do. And I said, I can, I can get behind that probably. You so know what? Went- we have to get behind this break. And mm-hmm. then we'll continue with the topic that shall not be named for not very long. <laughs> with Richard Dolan and Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. More and more people are discovering the incredible benefits of alkalizing the body. And there's no better product for it than AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Packed with a powerful combination of the most alkaline minerals and compounds, just a few drops in water will rid your body of harmful waste and give you more vibrance and vigor than you've had in years. Now buy two bottles and get $10 off your order. Call 800-518-7615 or visit ALKAVision.com. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com. Good people need help. The Homeowners Association said we had weeds and fined us $25. We told them they had the wrong house. They said if we didn't pay it, they'd file a lien. Our attorney demanded photographs, witnesses, and told them if they couldn't provide this, they must cease and desist. Issue solved. Worry less and live more with LSProtection.com. That's LSProtection.com or call 855-340-SAVE. That's 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Extend your life with Extendovite. 
neighbor, what are you doing digging? You had a heart attack last year. Oh, I know. I was told no more hard labor. Then why are you digging? Well, I've been taking Extendivite. It's been approved to help my heart. Extendivite? Is that a new drug? No, not a drug. It's uh, more like an herbal combination made from garlic and cayenne. Herbal? How can that help? Well, actually, we've taken herbs for thousands of years. Extendivite is doing the job for me. Does your doctor know about Extendivite? Yeah, my doctor knows, and he said it seems to be working for you, so don't stop taking it. I feel great taking Extendivite. I don't want to stop. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendovite. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. Did you know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. Hi, this is Ted Phillips, listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. With Gene and Chris, we have Richard Dolan, who is going to briefly address, before we go on, the topic that shall not be named, and he's kind of named it already, explained in our previous segment, you know, why he was invited down and that he wasn't given any marching orders about what to stay. No, no, absolutely I was not. And um, I was actually interested to go down. I And I said this at the time, and I'll say it now. So I was never asked to give a, a positive conclusion about the slides. And in fact, I, I, I just feel like I should mention when I was speaking in Mexico City about these slides, I did the f farthest I said, because I would say that 
for the, uh, the days that I was down there, I was impressed by the analysis that was given by the various physiological experts that Jaime Musan had brought in. And I met a couple of them, the Mexican gentlemen, and they were very nice. They're very intelligent. They spoke at length about, in their opinion, why this was not a human body. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. I didn't feel qualified to comment on the physiology of the body. I said, if these slides are going to be debunked, then someone who knows about physiology is going to need to address what these gentlemen have said, which I still felt was not an illogical thing to say. Well, obviously, um, yeah. You know, that was my position. So I, I went so far as to say, while these slides cannot be considered proof of anything extraterrestrial, and I said this, they're just slides after all, they're not the actual body. I well, did well, think that it would not be easily debunked, and I said that. They obviously were easily debunked within a few days. Yeah, uh, you know, and one thing that should be pointed out here again and underlined is that you never saw the slides prior to going <laughs> no, down there. I, I you, really you were going down there totally blind. There's a, a question or two on here that's that's wondering about that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, and um, now I did see them when I arrived. And on the one hand, they... they did looked, you see them projected or did you just see the slides, physical object? Oh, no, no, only a JPEG of it. So uh, the, the physical slides... I've not. So I've seen them on. I saw them on a. Do you know if Carrie and uh, and Sh and Schmidt actually have have seen the physical slides? Because there's some question here. Uh, Han writes: Are you aware there's been alleged that the slides shown to the researchers and experts were different from the ones released at the witness event? I don't. He, I don't think so. There because there there are two slides, and um, I don't. I don't think that they're different. I don't. I don't think that's the case. Tom Carey and Don Schmidt. They were actually the first people to see physically. They were the first researchers, I should right, say. Right, right, to see them, physical, yeah. Uh, possession of the slides. Those slides are now, I haven't spoken with any of these individuals about this, um, other than I did speak with Don about it in the aftermath. But uh, Adam Dew, he's the one interesting guy. I, I know that Don Schmidt is honest about this. I know that Tom Carey, absolutely Tom Carey is honest about this. I think they're just both very, they got very enthusiastic. They got very mistaken. Adam Dew, I don't know well, that. Call, you know, call spade a spade. They got sloppy. I mean, they, they relied on. I and I did. Know. I got sloppy. Here's why. Well, yeah, you did too. I, did. And I, I went in, I had two very long conversations with Don Schmidt and with Tony Bergalia. And I respect them both. I mean, Tony, I've loved uh, a lot of Tony's writing over the years. I've followed him and uh, he got very involved in this work and he was gung-ho about it. Uh, same with Don Schmidt. And Don, I've known for many years and I, I did. I trusted Don's judgment. And I'm not trying to lay blame on Don. This is on me. I made the decision to trust him. But we had a long conversation. He said, this is serious uh, stuff. We've got some very excellent analysts who are explaining why this is not a mummy, why this is not, you know, a human being and, and so forth. And I will just say I was impressed by that. And that was actually the thing. How, that, how, how much money and who put up the money to, to get this expert testimony? Because generally that costs. I don't, I don't know how much money he spent on, on all that stuff. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Cause it'd be interesting to know how much money was actually spent up front versus uh, the purported amounts of money that were generated by, what some people are pretty upset that, that uh, they think that at, at, at the very best, Schmidt and Kerry were extremely sloppy and myopic and, uh, as you put it, uh, I think, I think overly that, enthusiastic about I it. I think, and Don, 
uh, to his credit, I haven't talked with Tom, but oh, I, I have to tell you, I like Tom Carey so very much. But Don's been very, I think he's been pretty upfront about it. And I think he, he'd be the first to admit he got, he got really clouded. I will say this, I was never comfortable the whole time with the fact that they were connecting this to Roswell. And they will, they will say, well, we weren't trying to connect it to Roswell. But I don't really think that's true because at the uh, presentation, those two, uh, Tom and Don, spent quite a lot of their t- uh, time on the stage talking about Roswell Rittenses. And I mean, I think they very explicitly were connecting this slide, this body to the Roswell. Yeah, by, by kind I, of I, I never felt, I was never inference. comfortable. <laughs> I just felt that that was a real leap. But anyway, so I think they did get very, very myopic. I think it's probably a good way to look at it, very yeah. enthusiastic. But certainly, when people call this a hoax, I just can't. I can't sign on to that. I can't really agree with that. Um, at least when I think about Don and Tom and even Jaime, I have to say a lot of people have been very critical of Jaime Musan. On a personal level, I, I cannot help but like this man. I'm very sorry if someone doesn't like me as a result of it, it's too bad. Um, I don't think Jaime was trying to be deceptive about this at all. I think he genuinely believed. I think he was as mistaken as Tom and Don about it. I think he got very. Jaime does not have a very a very good machine in his brain that helps him discern between, you know, between what what could be something, you know, extraordinary and high strange and something that's mundane. I sat through a talk of his in November, and I'd say maybe twenty percent of what he showed, and he showed a lot, was it was like whoa, made me sit up and say, hey, that 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 definitely has the earmarks of being real. The rest of it was just laughable. And so, you know, we're dealing with somebody who's, who's, who's made a name and, a, and a, quite a bit of money uh, promoting sensational things that appear to be extraterrestrial. I mean, let's get real. He's been, he's been one of the main engines driving this thing, uh, I think, in the culture. And then, of course, down in Mexico, you know, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's kind of above and beyond the, uh, the crowd down there. I mean, he's Mr. UFO down oh, there. They love He's very popular there. Yeah. So, you know, he has, he has to always come up with new stuff. That's yeah. why well, I'm actually, sure he and my, Linda are very, very, very good friends. My, well, I'd actually, I don't know what their exact relationship is, to be honest with you. Yeah, my well, my similar. reason for going down there was not because Jaime Musan was doing it. My reason for going down there was because Don Schmidt uh, and Tom Carey and yeah. Tony Pallier were behind this, and the fact yeah. that Jaime Musan was organizing really was irrelevant to me. Yeah, let me kind of cut to the chase here because I don't want to spend the whole show on this, and I think Chris doesn't either. No. And you're probably getting bored about it. We have about a minute and a half for this segment. We'll mention a little bit of it in our next segment, and then move on. What do you think we've learned from this? To avoid think, this kind of thing from happening again. Well, well actually, I think it, I look back in many ways as a, as a very positive development for UFO research. I, I think the people who are saying this is a disaster are absolutely wrong. I think it's exactly the opposite of a disaster. I think um, when you look at how the whole Roswell slides thing played out, as soon as those slides were released, you had a substantial community of analysts looking into it. And guess what? They... They made a, a breakthrough that analysts on their own were not able to do, which was to decipher the uh, the placard. Yeah, yeah, that's that we could do half half a show just on. I that mean, stuff. and that, but, that's but, it's important. But, but no, you you have a point there. And uh, did you know the way the synchronicity in the world works sometimes is very surprising? The evidence, uh, the, to the best of my knowledge, about where that actual body is, it's not buried. You know where it is? It's like just over a mile from my house. <laughs> Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> Swear to God. <laughs> go, go find it. 
Actually, um, I'm working on it. Yeah. The other thing that I would I would say is uh, I know there's been a lot of criticism of of uh, Tom and Don primarily for withholding and Adam do for withholding this. The only thing that I would say on their defense is this: if you've got what you think is like the you know holy grail of Roswell evidence, which I think they believe they had. Are you really just going to like toss it out there without having analysts that you no, trust to not. verify it, to do this before you release it, which is exactly what they did? Let me break it, guys, and then yeah. we'll have your question, Chris. We've got a little bit more on this subject to come, and then we'll go on to many others. Richard Dolan with Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. The premier independent talk radio network, the Genesis Communications Network, GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. All on subject to one next corporate must be in business at least one year to apply. Attention, small business owners needing financing. Are you too busy running your business to deal with the slow lending process of your bank? Are you frustrated at the paperwork and delays just trying to get a decision? Then you need OnDeck, the A-plus Better Business Bureau rated small business experts, where our simple application process takes as little as 10 minutes and funding could be available in just one business day. At OnDeck, we focus on your business operation and cash flow, not just your personal credit score. And we're ready to help with loans of up to $250,000. True business Business loans, not credit card advances. On Deck provides financing to a wide variety of small businesses like restaurants, plumbing, landscaping, freight trucking, and healthcare providers. If you're frustrated with the paperwork and long decision times of traditional lenders, contact On Deck. Funding could be available in just one business day. On Deck is publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange and has provided over $2 billion to small businesses like yours. So go to OnDeckLending.com today or call 800 293 6819. That's 800 293 6819. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. 
With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shields law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Ouch! My back is out again! Hi, Dr. Ortman with Wellspring Spinal Care. If you're experiencing neck, mid, or lower back pain, this information is for you. One of the complaints that I hear is patients receive their typical adjustment, only having to repeat them as the pain returns. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the battle. At Wellspring Spinal Care, we have the entire solution. We use the NUCA approach, utilizing three-dimensional x-rays and gentle touch technology to deliver specific correction. We then design Design a custom nutritional supplement program which provides essential nutrients targeting the areas of concern. With a NUCA approach and proper nutrition, you'll be on your way to a faster and more permanent recovery. To get you on the road to wellness, visit DrOrtman.com. That's Dr. O-R-T-M-A-N.com. Or call us today, 952-303-9124. That's 952-303-9124. Wellspring Spinal Care, chiropractic done right. This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. Let's just about wrap up the subject okay. that should not be That's named. The we'll one on. thing, I mean, anybody looking at that that has been, uh, you know, made aware of the date of the supposed photograph being taken, 1947, when you take one look at that image, it is obviously an extremely old desiccated body okay it was not killed uh in a crash in the new mexico desert uh within months it, it's impossible i mean it is so obvious that that, that it, it is, was obvious to you it wasn't to those physiologists who looked at it i mean that's just the fact they they didn't agree with that i mean all you have when to I do look, is at, look it, at the clothes on it the skull looked to me this is not my expertise but i've looked at other uh, images of two-year-old mummies, and this this is a bizarre. I mean, it has a kind of elongated head, in my view. Um, but there are a lot of explanations for that. Could it even be a composite mummy, for all I know. I have no idea what this thing is because it's just an image; it's not a body uh, yet. Well, the most unusual thing about it is the body evidently was found not curled up in a fetal position, which is which is highly unusual in burials of Pueblo Indians. Mm. Yeah, that's another thing that, that doesn't come out very often. Let's move from this, and let me just yeah. ask a serious question about the whole research. Have we reached the end <laughs> in terms of getting anything about Roswell that's significant? Oh, Roswell. I thought you were going to ask about UFOs. Um, well, the witnesses are all kind of going away. They're all pretty much gone. I don't see how you're going to get new data out of witnesses to Roswell. In fact, I think Don Schmidt and Tom Carey did really the finest job on that aspect of it um short of a wikileaks type of event or someone stealing information out of the classified vault in uh, in some deep bowels of the pentagon i don't really think there's going to probably be anything well new. we know those files are gone how about ron mcgare's book coming out with your publishing company that uh, uh purports to show oh, yes uh, 
the, 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 the Bettman archive photograph that very few people know about that appears to show the wreckage strewn about on the floor at Ramey's press conference is a quarter of an inch thick. Yeah, this is really an exciting. Uh, thanks for reminding me that I'm publishing that book. I haven't heard from him <laughs> in a few months. I love Ron Regeer. Um, he is doing well. What what he's really doing, I think, is the first ever detailed analysis of the of the whole like outing of right of the whole and the analysis of the the Ramey uh, the memo and the photographs associated with it. What well, was and, the response? The initial three or four day response to uh, the initial. Yeah, the initial uh, out, uh, faux pas, if you will. Right. So I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to talk about it yet. I've. I have an early version of the manuscript, and I, I haven't even looked at it in a few months, to be honest. I'm. I'm working. I can. I've got a new book I'm writing, which is not a UFO book, by the way, and I'm publishing four other books simultaneously. So my head's kind of like in a. Even in terms of the, the so-called Roswell slides, like, have you been hanging out with Redfern? <laughs> no, I probably Nick has four books coming out in six months. I, I've I've used Nick a couple of times as an editor for some of the books that I've uh, I published by other authors. He's actually really good. Does at he that. ever sleep? I don't think so. He's 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 busier than I think. I'm as busy as a person as I know, but I think Nick might have me beat. He's constantly working. That guy, You're freaking pit bull. What he needs is one best-selling book that sells like a million copies, and he could rest for a while. Yeah. Well, don't we all? <laughs> you know, we do have some really good questions here, and I, I want to jump into them. Um, sure. Throw a couple at you before we uh, before we continue on uh, with other topics. But Technomage is one of our uh, you know real faithful posters at forum.theparacast.com. He's posting a question for Richard right now. What do you think? Uh, and for the past five years, what are the most exciting developments that you feel are going on in UFO studies here in these these past five years? Hmm. Hmm. That's five, ten years. I could come up with some, but five years—that's the last. Yeah, the last few years. I'm. I'm no, there really hasn't been any real stand stand up. No. Um, I I feel what is well. I'm I'm not going to answer that question right now because I'm going to tell you what I think is needed in uh, in UFO research, and I would really love to see this, which is really true international data collection and collaboration. There's nothing. Yeah. Um, there's just nothing. And, um, the farther we go, there's just no excuse for it anymore. We're in the 21st century. We've got the, we've got Google translate. We should have the ability for nations around the world, for people in, in language and cultures to be able to collaborate. Right. And well, the largest have, UFO group in the world is in China with over a million members. Yeah. I keep hearing that, but I don't know the first thing about these people. I mean, does anyone? Yeah. Do you know, do you know the group? Do you know these people? Um, well, uh, one of the scientists that, um, he came over to uh, the Congress um, a couple, three years ago. Uh, he was very, very interesting. Uh, you know, again, but I, I totally agree. I, I think it's uh, everything is stovepiped um, with some crossover between here and Europe and here in Australia. Uh, very little, actually, <laughs> between here and Australia, but some. And then, you know, if we didn't have Scott Corrales, I wouldn't know anything about what's going on in South America, yeah. Latin-speaking countries. I, I, will, I will say, I'll, I'll actually try to answer this question. I think some of the very interesting developments intellectually that I've noticed um, have to do with um, alleged encounters that people are having with very, very strange things. And I'm, I'm including military abductions. Uh, I've spoken to a number of researchers who are doing some currently some detailed analysis 
And I think one of them is probably writing what I, I hope will be the definitive book on military abductions uh, up till now. I think it's a fascinating subject. And uh, the other the other thing also has to do with encounters. This is a book that I am publishing, and I'm, this is not shameless self-promotion. I, I'm talking about it because I really think this is important. Uh, research by a fellow named Mike Cleland. I don't know if you guys have had Mike yeah, on. Yeah, we've had Mike on the show, sure. Mike has sent me some Facebook messages asking me some questions. I like Mike. I think he's a great guy. I know as soon as this book is published, we're going to have him on the show. His research is absolutely fascinating. And and the reason I'm mentioning him here is I, I believe, honestly, that his work is some of the most groundbreaking work in the last 20 years in this field because what he's doing is he's talking about very bizarre uh, synchronicities that are happening to people who've had these bizarre experiences and and it's almost as if uh, people are having certain experiences are getting what you have to consider almost clues from this Right, he's map, he's that only out. they can that only they can understand yeah. and he's done it he's done this research very meticulously in such a way that I think it's it's very very interesting. Well, he writes everything down. Uh, the one that that kind of made me scratch my head a little bit is he took the the uh, that com that what's it called a uh, uh, a group of owls. What's it called? A wisdom of owls. I think. Remember yeah. all the owls in Missouri? There's hundreds of them that uh, that ended up on this one farmer's uh, fence post. Oh yes, yes, he, yes, yes. He drew a line between that. Yes. Uh, Mac Tonez's apartment and his house. And uh, it, they fell in a perfect line, plus other events that had taken place uh, uh, were along those lines. And exactly. And it, see, it, in Mike's case, he's a, he's a map uh, whiz. That's like his thing, his maps. Yeah. So he's able to find clues through maps. But in fact, there are other people who have um, skills in other areas, and, and they get clues that right. only they can understand. His owl uh, work is interesting. It's so fascinating. He's now known as the owl guy, but it's actually absolutely fascinating. So I think some of the interesting developments are, um, are in some of these bizarre areas of contact. And that's my own opinion at the moment. I might have a different opinion next, next week. Well, next well week. Uh, Technomage wants to know, what do you think of my uh, super duper camera project? <laughs> and do you your, think your the UFOs super- will cause the cameras to fail just when they're about to capture something of value? I didn't know that you had a super duper camera. I, I hear about camera projects frequently from a lot of interesting people. Well, yeah, I've been working on this for 20 years. Uh, finally, we got the level of technology and some funding. And yeah, I'm doing a surveillance, uh, totally integrated surveillance, triangulated uh, camera array oh, in the San Luis Valley. I, I find that fascinating. I'm, I'm excited yeah. that you're doing it. Yeah, I think hard, data, hard of- data monitoring in a hotspot area, I think, is our best chance of gaining some truly scientific data. I agree. The equipment that uh, you can get for like five thousand to six, seven thousand dollars. I mean, that's you can really get a lot, and you can um, do a lot of night vision. The problem that I think we have to be careful of is is capturing things that are actually uh, classified, uh, very advanced drones that are uh, mistaken as uh, ET craft. But that's of secondary importance because I I believe that there are some highly, highly advanced military drones that are not being. And uh, if you're capturing that, then that's nearly as good as capturing an alien. Well, craft. that's one of the reasons because you know we have the uh, the La Vida MOA and and the uh, the main MTR in in the West goes right down the front of the yeah. Sangres, right over the you know sand dunes and 
you know, the foothills there. And, and it would have a perfect view of that with 36 times, uh, you know, optical zoom with record on motion um, from an ice, uh, all sky cam, which is 180 degrees of horizon, horizon camera oh, image. That's yeah. great. Yeah, that's actually what that'll trigger trigger the coordinates, and then that that shoots them over the internet to the other cameras, and they they all triangulate on it. So, how are you putting your data out? YouTube, or are you doing something? Um, we're going to have it live streaming. Yes, sir. Richard Dolan with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. We are America's largest independently owned communications network. GCN. It's very easy to be a criminal. All you need to burglarize a home is one simple household tool, a pair of scissors. If your home security system can be compromised by a criminal using scissors, then you're making it easy for them. Almost every home security system, even those sold by big name companies, has a weakness. The phone line. You shell out 1500 bucks, get locked into a long-term contract, and think you're safe. But a burglar can destroy your alarm in seconds with one snip. And when a burglar cuts your phone line, you're you're defenseless. defenseless. Simply Safe Home Security is the smarter choice. Built by Harvard engineers, Simply Safe uses a wireless connection to call the cops. Scissors can't cut it, and that means your home stays safe. 24/7 professional monitoring is under $15 a month with no contract. Simply Safe Home Security keeps you safer than the other guys for half the cost. Protect your home with the alarm you can trust. Simply Safe. Go to simplysafedefense.com now for an exclusive 10% offer. That's simplysafedefense.com. This is the Genesis Communications Network, GCN. It's very easy to be a criminal. All you need to burglarize a home is one simple household tool, a pair of scissors. If your home security system can be compromised by a criminal using scissors, then you're making it easy for them. Almost every home security system, even those sold by big name companies, has a weakness. The phone line. You shell out 1500 bucks, get locked into a long-term contract, and think you're safe. But a burglar can destroy your alarm in seconds with one snip. And when a burglar cuts... Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Briefly talking about Chris O'Brien's San Luis Valley camera project. Right. So right now, the intention is to stream the video, but do you expect some? Well, you way to- good, but you want to you want to record yeah. it, I would think. Well, obviously, we're, it's yeah. we, the software is record on motion, um, detect on motion, then record on motion. Cool. All three cameras are going to high wow. def and and right. record. And we're going to have a slaved unit that's um, going to have a uh, a unit with a diffraction grating on it, so that we can divide the light into spectra if it's at night. And for sixty grand, we can put the system together. For another sixty, we can have a completely flare. Well, and now that I remember, when you and I first met Chris, which was back in 2006 uh, for that television uh, Right, 2000, I was earlier than that. I think 2005, yeah. Well, we shot that in 06, but um, we talked about night vision. I think there was a night vision binoculars that you had. Right. 
that you let me use. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you were obviously really into some, um, you know, really good optics and um, data capture back then as well. Well, yeah, it's having a good team of uh, of scientists, consultants too. You know, we've we've got some some pretty high powered people. Ron McGarris helping out, uh, Marsha Adams, uh, who did some work with Paul Devereaux, and also up at Hasl- Hasdalen, oh, and, um, okay. and and others too. Um, you yeah. know, so we we do we know exactly what we want to do, especially recording gravitometer and recording magnetometer. I think that's very very important. Um, also acoustic, we want to uh, do a. a you know, build a, a, you know, three foot by three foot um, solid concrete pad and uh, stick some sophisticated PZM mics on there to see if we can wow. get some VLF and ULF uh, it's uh, frequency like a stuff. modern version of Project Magnet, you know, as Wilbert Smith did. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ultrasound, you know, ultra low sound uh, frequencies uh, going around, I think, in a lot of these events. And, and also, you know, uh, having a map that has a little blinking light so the locals who are tuned in can run out with their camcorders and they know which direction to look. That's awesome. Yeah, I love so, this project. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a Kickstarter campaign. Hopefully, you'll help me get the word out um, later on this summer. We're we're about ready to go. The the base station is is uh, is being installed as we speak. So. I think we're moving it into an era where there's a number of other people who who are trying to do what you're trying to do, and, and maybe different variations yeah. on themes. So, well, um, and uh, <clears throat> Mark D'Antonio are, are involved in a project that's even more sophisticated. Uh, yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, so it's. I think this that's a, that's a real positive development. I'm helping you answer that question. <laughs> yes, I think I think absolutely it is. Okay, here's one. Uh, before we get going too far, uh, what solid, indisputable evidence regarding UAPs have been collected over the past five years? A, a, a similar question. This one comes from Bluto three ninety two. I don't know how I'm going to answer that because honestly, I, I'm not. And until I uh, start to write my third volume of um, – until I get to that point in volume three of UFOs and National Security State, I, I don't really know how I'm going to want to answer that. Like what, what I feel is the best, most solid evidence in the last five years, I'll probably have a much better, at least provisional answer for that in another year or two. But I don't want to answer that right now. Well, yeah, just, well that, that also gets us to uh, volume three of uh, UFOs and National Security State. Uh, what time ter- period does that cover? 2000 to 210 or something? Or No, it'll cover 1992 to the present day. To the present day. So okay. How, how's that project going? I know you've been working on it for well, a while. I'm writing a different book right now. So yeah. I'm writing, I'm back, this will be the third book that's getting in the way of my third volume of history. So <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm annoying everyone to, to no end here. You know, I was going to do, first I did AD After Disclosure, which some people right. said, oh my God, why are you doing that book? Just do th- volume three. But I'm glad I did AD After Disclosure. Well, then and I, I'm glad you did uh, 21st Century Mind. I've been recommending it all you. over the place. I, 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 I love, love it. Book. I think it's a really well-written book. It's one of my favorite sure. reference books right now. I, 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 I hate to sound to our listeners like I'm blowing smoke up your up your tailpipe here, but I'm serious. I really I, thank you so much for sending it to me. I, I I still need to get a signed copy from you. Gladly. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that, Chris. I loved writing that book, and I wanted yeah, I it's to be a, a single volume that uh, I always thought of it as a sophisticated introduction, an up to date overview of the field where it was at it as at, as of the writing, and I think it was needed. So I'm glad I wrote it. The book that I'm writing right now is not even a UFO book. It's my first fully non-UFO book, uh, and it's a history, an analytical history of false flag operations. Cool. Uh, oh, I want to hear this. Ex- I'm, in, I'm deep into this book now, and it's, uh, I've been working on it quietly since last winter. As a result of that, it's not that I'm out of the UFO mindset. I mean, I still, but I, it, I've been really throwing myself into... Um, I would say that there's a lot of uh, relevance there. <laughs> 
No, I think so. I think it's a book that needs to be written. There is no history of false flags. And I, I could talk to you for hours about this actually right now. Yeah, that's what I'm actually deep. And I've only recently been talking about this. So for the first half of this year, I, I wasn't telling anyone that this was my my book, except that I was working on a book. Now, I but want this- to ask you quickly here. There are lots of conspiracy theories about possible false flag incidents. Is there one you could bring to mind that you've been covering that might have some traction, some validity? Yes, absolutely. So the the, the first of all, the problem with researching a false flag as opposed to UFOs is that UFOs actually are easier to research, in my opinion, because with UFO phenomenon, you have one thing that you can always fall back on, which are verified reports and indeed declassified military documents. Uh, If all else fails, I can always refer to the fact that there are several thousands of pages of uh, documents from the FBI and the CIA and all the military branches, uh, many of which will discuss, you know, encounters that military personnel have had with UFOs. And clearly you can read from them that they generated a very serious response in many cases. With a good false flag, by its very nature, it's, it's uh, a covert op that's done by professionals who know what they're doing. And it is not necessarily the case that you're really going to be able to prove it to your satisfaction. Uh, it's more than 80 years since the Reichstag fire occurred in 1933. And the fact is that among academic historians to this day, there is dispute over whether or not the Nazis did it or the, um, you know, the, the Dutch communist van der Lubbe did it by himself, as was claimed, and that the Nazis simply were opportunists as a result of it. Now, I do believe that the, the Reichstag fire was a false flag. And I think most historians probably agree. But the fact is that one signal event, which happened a a full lifetime ago, there's still not 100 percent certainty. And that's what a good false flag will do. It will leave that seed of doubt. Um, Now, there are false flags that are absolutely confirmed. There's no shadow of a doubt. If there were an Olympics of false flags, as I've been saying lately, I would say the United States gets the gold. And I would say two key U.S. strategic allies get the silver and bronze, and that would be Israel and Britain, as opposed to, say, the Russians, who have far fewer false flags, as a matter of fact. A confirmed false flag that we know is Operation Gladio, and anyone can look this up. This is actually a fascinating story. This took place during the Cold War. This is done by NATO operatives. And Gladio initially started as um, basically kind of a leave-behind operation in the event that the Soviets were to take over Western Europe which was a fear in the late 1940s. And so what happened, particularly in Italy, is there there were teams that would be left behind that would act as kind of like the resistance in the event of a Soviet takeover. Well, the Soviets never took over Italy. And so you've got these teams there and wondering what they would do. Well, what they ended up doing, and this was with CIA knowledge, uh, according to the witnesses involved, they started uh, causing mayhem and blowing up train stations and killing people. And you're talking hundreds of people getting killed and blaming it on the Red Brigade and blaming it on the communists uh, as specifically as a way of influencing Italian politics and bringing people to the right of center of politics. Now, that's been confirmed. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's pretty well and, known. Absolutely. And, you know, the Gladio operation has, um, has a great deal in common with a number of operations that were like, for example, pretty darn sure that Mossad was doing in uh, France and in Paris during the seventies and eighties, similar operations. They've made uh, movies about it. Yeah. And blowing, blowing up um, locations, including uh, delicatessens, Jewish delicatessens. In fact, one case in Paris in 19, late seventies, I believe blaming it on um, 
there's, there's leaked documents like the Northwoods, uh, you know, potential uh, North, right. manual. Northwoods, for- Northwoods is the 1962, and this was from the Joint Chiefs. Uh, and it, it, this was a false flag that didn't happen, but no, exactly. And it really, when you read the uh, information on Northwoods, it looks, it reads just like a 9-11 fundamentally. And what the... Um, what our military intelligence wanted to do was take Castro out of Cuba. They had a plan that landed on Kennedy's desk, which was to um, fake a Cuban terrorist attack on uh, U.S. property. We have Richard Dolan. We're segueing into false flags, and I have one to ask him about shortly. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Bearcast. secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Hey neighbor, what are you doing digging? You had a heart attack last year. Oh, I know. I was told no more hard labor. Then why are you digging? Well, I've been taking Extendivite. It's been approved to help my heart. Extendivite? Is that a new drug? No, not a drug. It's uh, more like an herbal combination made from garlic and cayenne. Herbal? How can that help? Well, actually, we've taken herbs for thousands of years, and Extendivite is doing the job for me. Does your doctor know about Extendivite? Yeah, my doctor knows, and he said it seems to be working for you, so don't stop taking it. I feel great taking Extendivite. I don't want to stop. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822, or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Honey, it's time for dinner. What are you doing over there on your computer? I'm shopping for a new wallet. Mine is falling apart. Hey, did you know there's a company called ID Stronghold that makes shielded wallets to prevent electronic pickpocketing? Oh, I didn't realize there was such a thing as electronic pickpocketing. What is that? Well, apparently, many of the new credit and debit cards being issued have radio chips inside them called RFID that transmit our banking information to card readers when we pay. Unfortunately, a bad guy can also get one of these readers and go around the city scanning people, collecting their credit card numbers and personal information without us knowing it. Wow, that sounds scary. Since you're getting a new wallet anyway, you should definitely get an ID Stronghold shielded wallet. Are they more expensive? No. In fact, I can get a shielded leather wallet from IDStronghold.com for the same price or less than regular unshielded wallets from other stores. Sounds great. My wallet isn't falling apart yet, but let me pick one out too. I want to be protected, and these wallets at IDStronghold.com look fantastic. 
You pick up the receiver. With your heart racing and sweat dripping from your forehead, you finally muster the courage to dial the number to call into your favorite talk radio show. It rings once, twice, and then... Hello, it's GCN. What's your name and the state you're calling from? Surprised you got through, you squeak out. Jason from Minnesota. Please hold. As you patiently wait for your turn, you begin to daydream about being a famous talk radio host and what it would be like to have your own show. Jason from Minnesota, you're up. Millions of loyal listeners worldwide waiting to call and talk to you. Caller, are you there? Cheering crowds surround you, calling out your name. Going once, twice. Okay, we gotta move on to the next caller. You blew it. Huh? Wait, no! Interact with the hosts you're listening to right now online at GCNlive.com. Click on the community link. Engage with other listeners. Ask questions. Start debates. Don't agree with a host? Let them know. Be a part of the community at GCNlive.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So back in the days of the Kennedy administration, you were telling us about a false flag operation to get rid of Castro in Cuba, right? Richard well, yeah, Dolan? this is Northwoods, which didn't happen, but actually what to blame Castro. And, and Kennedy essentially said, no, this is not going to happen, and, and it didn't. On the other hand, uh, this was um, right in line with what was then known as Operation Mongoose, which was, in fact, a series of dirty tricks, I guess you could say, that the U.S. intel community was doing against Cuba at that very time. David Ferry. It, exactly. I mean, this is all all tied in together. So it's a fascinating history. And in fact, there was a, a claimed conversation that a gentleman had with Kennedy over a discussion of doing false flags in Dominican Republic around the same time, uh, fake bombings or well, real bombings, but blamed on, you know, other operatives to justify U.S. invasions and so on. So this kind of thing, I think, was going on a lot at the level of discussion. What I, th- I think has happened is that uh, we've really moved into an era of false flags. I think this is my opinion at this point. I would say 9-11 is probably the centerpiece of um, the false flag era, I think, it, based on that. And not, not just 9-11, but the anthrax scare, which really we have to um, tie in with 9-11. You can't really talk about the one without the other. I think we tend to forget the significance of the anthrax right. scare. And that they were handing absolute- out Cipro. What, uh, a month before 9-11 and before the anthrax attacks? Exactly right. The the key to understand about the anthrax scare is that, see, if 9-11 had happened by itself, we would have thought, oh, it's maybe a a terrorist one-off and, you know, they just did this one thing. But with anthrax coming through the mail and, and actually killing some people, right, you have the public now being whipped up by a media frenzy, of course, um, thinking, oh my God, now first 9-11 crashing in buildings, now this, what's next? And in fact, the uh, letters that were being sent with the anthrax, the very first one said exactly that. First 9-11, now this, death to America, death to Israel, Allah is great. So it was a note that explicitly tied the anthrax to Islamic uh, extremists. All through that month of October, the, the Congress debated the USA Patriot Act. And the anthrax scare was front row center of the news um, where the Bush administration was connecting the anthrax scare 
alternately uh, at one point to Saddam Hussein, at one point to Osama bin Laden, and at one point simply to vague Islamic terrorists. But these are the people being connected. So the USA Patriot Act passes October 24th, I think, 2001. Yeah, and only Bernie Sanders signed, uh, didn't sign it. Yeah, and I think Ron Paul. Yeah, oh, yeah, and Ron Paul, Ron Paul right. But uh, here's the thing. The day after the USA Patriot Act was passed, with the anthrax scare being a key factor in the passage of that act, U.S. major news media comes out and says, oh, that anthrax apparently came from a U.S. biological weapons laboratory. And that's what happened. Now, that being the case, the in fact, that is the conclusion. Who wrote the note? <laughs> I'd like to know. I mean, and clearly you've got a situation where this anthrax is being connected directly to 9-11, being used to pass the USA Patriot Act, which is the fundamental revolution in modern American politics, the, the quintessential revolution from above that has, that has destroyed the last knife in the back of the old republic, let's just say. So I think we can really absolutely say that this is every bit of false flag, and, it, and it's intimately dependent upon 9-11. That brings up some disturbing... <laughs> implications, yeah. uh, I would say. Most definitely. And, you know, the whole idea of the origin of the anthrax kind of went to sleep for a number of years after that. And um, the FBI uh, tried to pin this anthrax on one scientist who was absolutely innocent. In fact, he was so innocent, he was able successfully to sue the FBI for damages and won. And then they went after another scientist who, uh, in the opinion of his colleagues, was absolutely equally innocent. But the FBI was looking for someone to pin this on. And this is what the FBI does. They look for scapegoats. Uh, that scientist committed suicide conveniently before they could go to trial. You know, when you start looking at all of the elements of the anthrax scare, I think that that with 9-11, that's the key. And the problem, one of the things I'm looking at with this false flag phenomenon is simply the psychology that goes into it. Why false flags are necessary from the point of view of the American geopolitical elite and how they are so effective psychologically. And what I've come to understand is when you have these horrible traumatic events that occur in our society, whether it's 9-11 or... Um, any of these other shootings or the bombings that have occurred. And I don't know for a fact that all are false flags, but I'm suspicious of most of them. They're traumatic. And so what you find out is that the media and the power structure immediately come in with an intellectual narrative to tie that emotion to. Right. You've got this deep sense of trauma, and then suddenly here's an answer. Those are the people who did this. And so I think what happens with us psychologically is that our emotions and our conceptual, our intellect kind of marry together with this answer. And this, I think, is why when you talk to people about 9-11 to this day, they get very emotional because they've been emotionally invested in this answer. And it's now been almost 15 years. And to revisit this, I think the longer we hold these opinions, the harder they are to dislodge. In terms of false flags, Gulf of Tonkin for Vietnam, it justified our escalation of the Vietnam War. What's the story about that? I consider that fundamentally, yes, a false flag. You can quibble. There's, there's narrow definitions of false flags, and there's, I think, a slightly broader and maybe more realistic definition of what a false flag is. What we know about the Gulf of Tonkin, this, this was the fundamental justification, of course, for the expansion of the war in Vietnam. It happened in August 1964. The United States, the USS Maxwell, was in North Vietnamese waters at that time, and that is by itself an act of war, uh, doing electronic espionage on North Vietnam. This is a, a huge U.S. battleship, okay, no one's going to mug a U.S. battleship 
<laughs> anywhere in the world. Maybe the Russians would challenge, but certainly not the North Vietnamese. So there apparently was one minor engagement. North Vietnamese had a very small ship, fired the equivalent of a pea shooter at USS Maxwell. No damage, nothing happened whatsoever. That encounter was transformed into two encounters. The second one was entirely fictitious, as far as we could tell, to an engagement, an unprovoked engagement on, as LBJ, President Johnson said, on the high seas, which means international waters, which was not the case. So this event was was peddled to the American public, to the world public, as unprovoked aggression by the North Vietnamese. This is certainly not the case. And then was used, passed by Congress, almost almost with unanimity, to giving a, essentially a blank check for massive escalation of the war in Vietnam. So yes, I call that a false flag. Okay. When's this book coming out? I don't know uh, when it's done. So sometime this year, uh, I I wanted it done by the middle of the summer. That's not going to happen. It will be done. What I've discovered is that it's, um, you know, it's hard because going into each one of these cases, I have to be as meticulous and careful as I possibly can be. I want to do this right. Um, and it's a topic that deserves careful treatment. I, I, want to avoid going off on the deep end and saying everything's a false flag, but I also want to be brave enough to look at these cases on their own merits and, and say, you know, it's like a false flag or not. So, so that's the thing. And um, I think it'll be done by fall of this year. We look forward to seeing it about false flags, Richard Dolan. Let's get on with our other subjects on the table. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN. More and more people are discovering the incredible benefits of alkalizing the body, and there's no better product for it than AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops. Packed with a powerful combination of the most alkaline minerals and compounds, just a few drops in water will rid your body of harmful waste and give you more vibrance and vigor than you've had in years. Now buy two bottles and get $10 off your order. Call 800-518-7615 or visit alkavision.com. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at alkavision.com. Have you ever wondered if you could make electric, light, or heat in your home for free? How about a motor that charges batteries at the same time? What if this also restores useless batteries and saves you lots of money? Come to our Renaissance Charge Conference Workshop on August 15th and 16th in Fort Lauderdale. Visit r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com for details. Or call 208-304-2954. Healthy elimination is essential to high energy, a cheerful mood, and prevention of disease. Some of the founders of our modern holistic health thinking state that disease begins in a toxic colon. A toxic intestinal tract is the foundation for virtually all degenerative disease, and a clean and well-moving intestinal tract is the foundation of health. I just want to say that you folks have an amazing product. I've taken whey protein products for years, and I've never noticed the results I have with your product. I've suffered with bouts of constipation most of my life. Within a few days of taking One World Whey, I know 
noticed a dramatic change. Also, in the past few years, I've experienced symptoms associated with diabetes. I feel horrible when I've had too much sugar, and I've been getting the foot pain as well. But I've noticed in the past week or so, I'm not feeling bad anymore, and the foot pain is gone. I'm just finishing up a five-pound tub I ordered and just got off the phone ordering more. I love your product. Thank you. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorldWhey.com. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey light, the Berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Hi, John Hubner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Hubner, and that was me in 2007. And we all know what happened when the subprime credit bubble burst. By March 2009, the dollar lost 50% of its value. The entire U.S. banking system was on the verge of collapsing. Like all financial problems of the past, is history about to repeat itself? Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 129, before it's too late to protect yourself. Will the oncoming catastrophe take all private IRAs, 401ks with it? There is a way to protect your hard-earned assets. Call me, John Hubner, at one 800 686 Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? Now, as you notice in this episode, a lot of the questions are coming from you listeners of Richard Dolan. And we've got one listener, as a matter of fact, we'll get to some of his questions shortly, where I think he asked about 20 questions or something like that. And just a whole bunch. He could have done a whole show. Well, just come on here and ask count. the questions. Wow. Well, let's answer at least one or, or uh, more, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there are a number here. Let's talk about skeptics. You've been kind of uh, taking a, a few kind of minor hits here and there recently. And I know what it's like, you know, being a publisher and, and trying to get the word out about your stuff. You may speak at conferences. I remember the one that you and I got lassoed into um, out there, that the the first revamped UFO con conference. Which one do you mean there? The one with Doug, Douglas Dietrich and I had to pull you. Oh, that was a funny <laughs> one. Hold you back. I'm glad you were there. You were really getting <clears throat> upset. I wasn't half as upset as he was. He got, he started well, knowing, Yeah, but you were, you, were, you were getting upset that he was getting so, ups, so upset. And then when he, he started to justify why he was upset, then, I, I mean, yeah, revisionist historians are a dime a dozen. And, and his particular theories are extremely uh, 
I thought he was know. not credible. I, I was simply yeah, bizarre. Asked. Dietrich was actually saying that the U.S. Yeah, Japan lost won the war. war. Okay, pal. That we um, sue for peace. And I just thought there's not a single, not one historian of the Second World War would say anything other than that's laughable. Well, it, it, yeah, my point being is, is if I had known that Laura Eisenhower and Andrew Bassagio and, and some of these other characters who I really have little regard for uh, personally in a professional manner in terms of the credibility of their their work. You know, where do you draw the line about getting involved in a conference or speaking on a radio show? I remember we kind of spanked you a little bit about uh, being on the third phase of Moon. I didn't realize credibility and, and the skeptics. I mean, Eric the Red wants to know. I, I'm not really that sympathetic to those types of criticisms. I am sympathetic to criticisms of my work. And if someone has a legitimate beef about something that I do, I'm, I, I'm all ears and I want to hear it. Uh, conferences, I don't you know, like I got criticized a few times. I did two conferences with Project Camelot, Carrie Cassidy, Awake and Aware. Right. I remembered people criticizing me over that. And I just thought, you know, look, here's how I look at it. This is an opportunity for me to reach a new public. And that needs to hear, I feel, the things that I had to say, particularly a very new agey oriented public, which um, can be very problematic, obviously, in a lot of ways in this field. And I just felt like both of the times I w did Awake and Aware, I was reaching a, a group of people that really didn't know much about my work previously. And I felt right. that I did make a difference. And in fact, both of those videos on YouTube got a tremendous number of views. So I was happy about it. When you do a conference, you must know this as well, Chris. I don't always know every single person who's going to be there or who I, or I may be asked to do a panel with. In the last couple of years, there have been a few instances in which I was asked to do a panel with individuals who I, I really do not support their work at all, or I don't support them even at all personally. I'm trying to be very, very careful about not doing that anymore. I don't, I don't want to be on stage with someone that I really think is um, right. not worthy of the field. Now, if that person's speaking at, a, at the same conference, I, I don't really think it's fair for someone to say, oh, well, he appeared at the same place so-and-so appeared at. I mean, th there's a certain limited number of appearances that you're going to make, and if someone right. invites me to, to say what I want to say, I you have to you have to consider it, of course. Doesn't that give you you these skeptics um, ammunition to say, well, if you're willing to speak, uh, you know, in the same program as so and so and such and such, how how can we take your work seriously? Yeah, well, well, that's a specious argument. I mean, the fact is that this is the type of thing that illegitimate skeptics will do. That they will right. attack. It's ad hominem. Yeah, they'll attack. Uh, that's not really attacking the, the data itself. It's not attacking the argument itself. Okay, well, well that, that, that brings us to... Go after what I say and go after my methods, but... Yeah, but that brings I, us to a great question from Eric the Red. What, how would you characterize what we might call UFO literacy, using that as an example, among most UFO debunkers and skeptics that you've encountered? He wants to know, how, you know, what, how would you characterize Michael Shermer's knowledge? Uh, he's particularly interested. Well, I think in general, it's actually fairly low, yeah, Robert uh, Schaefer falling asleep at the Congress. I'll tell you a funny story about Robert Schaefer. So I was in Phoenix with him uh, this year at the UFO Congress, and I had maybe a ten-minute chat with Robert Schaefer. And and as it as we started talking, like all these people started surrounding us, and I wanted to know, like, really, what is Robert Schaefer's knowledge of this field? I have to be perfectly candid and just tell you, this man knew nothing. I had to wake him up during one presentation. He was against the back back wall snoring. So and I told him, hey, man, you're, you're, you're snoring. I felt bad for him as I'm talking to him, thinking, you, you really don't know anything about the declassified literature on this subject. You, you, you literally know nothing of value. I think I probably said this to him, but I was nice about it. I didn't really even, I mean, I wasn't on camera. It didn't really matter. But 
I felt sorry for him, to be perfectly candid. I thought, this is the best you've got. You've got nothing. Uh, now, Shermer, honestly, I've never had a one-on-one with Michael Shermer, but I've never been impressed by his knowledge about the UFO phenomenon. Never. Not even a little bit. Well, he's, he's very will- intelligent. willfully yeah. ignorant. Yeah, he's, he's intelligent in, in his area, but when he starts talking about UFOs, it's very evident. Well, I, I don't know how intelligent he is. He's shooting primitive radio waves out, trying to, or, or looking for radio waves, rather, uh, that have been shot out. Uh, to me, that... Right. So maybe, maybe you're... I, I think, I don't think he's a dummy, but I just don't think he's knowledgeable at all about this field. He's shockingly, shockingly ignorant. Who would be good? I mean, at least Phil Class like, knew some of the cases. Well, Lance Moody, I think, uh, who, who we've had a very contentious relationship here uh, on the Paracast Forum with Lance, and, and we've had Lance on the show. I think mm-hmm. the work that he, he does, by and large, if, if he doesn't get this real negative passion going, the actual work that he does, the research that he does, and, and to a lesser degree, Anthony Bagalia, I think he puts too much spin on stuff. Lance, Lance is very good because he, he, he figures out where the facts are and, uh, and then stands you know, very stoically behind them. <laughs> good. Which I like. Well, here, here's one from Eric the Red. I love this question. Boy, I, I wish somebody would ask me this. Let's say you were gifted $100 million on the condition you would spend the money on bringing the UFO topic to a point of resolution or understanding as quickly as possible. What would you do with the money? <laughs> wow, $100 million. Yeah, first hire a business manager. Uh, I would get that ivory back scratcher I've been hankering for, which uh, would maybe cost you know $10,000. But after that, then I'm going to spend the rest of it. Seriously, $100 million. That's an interesting question. You never know. Some rich, you know, industrialist, you know, might have this closet passion. Well, I would, I would do a couple of different things. So I would probably find the best, and these would not be UFO people. So the best experts, you'd have to take a multifaceted approach, I think. So you wouldn't want to just do one thing because that's a lot of money. So some of the people, I would find some of the best uh, FOIA activists in the country. And I would, I would pay them to look for UFO FOIA uh, information, because I, I still don't think that that's... So in other words, you, you go out and buy an uh, army of vacuum cleaners. That would, that would be one element. I would, I would probably want to get researchers, uh, activists, or not activists, but uh, people who know the FOIA system who would be able to be effective possibly at filing FOIA requests, and maybe around the world. Um, Just hire Nick. Th- I might also... Uh, try to bribe people in uh, WikiLeaks or Anonymous, honestly, you know, to, uh, to pull information out illegally out of Ooh. the, uh, it's, well, you know, look, let's, let's get real. So if I have money All to right. play with, um, I think that I, I believe at this point that there's UFO data that is locked up in the classified uh, bowels that may never be released. And so if I had access to, uh, pay my own contingent in, uh, in some of these hacktivist groups, I think I would look out, reach out, and I would do that. Um, so that would be on that aspect of it. The other thing I think that would be useful would be to, um, hopefully as intelligently as, as possible, to organize uh, a data collection system. You know, something like what you're doing now, Chris, uh, but, you know, with good funding, Good oversight, good collaboration. We'll have a net collection. Pick out your top, you know, five or six hotspots. Right, right. So I I think I think that would be that would be something. It still would leave probably a great deal of money. 
maybe well, bribe a couple of uh, 120,000 times how many uh, setups you have, it, you know, as a, as a general rule of thumb, 100,000. I'm saying bribery with a little bit of a, a smirk, so un- understand. But um, <laughs> I, don't, I have to think about that one. I don't know. I think um, government, FOIA, hacktivists. Okay, we've got Richard Dolan with Gene and Chris. You're in the podcast. <laughs> Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Talk to a sales rep at iWeb.com. Use the promo code TechNightOwl for a special discount. Did you know that drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. Hi, this is Steve Sanchez, and based on a recent study, it was found that 57 million Americans had legal issues over the last 12 months, but only 60% of those studied sought out the services of a lawyer. Why? In a nutshell, affordability. While my friends at Legal Shield have created a solution that can help you not if, but when you need an attorney. For as little as $17 per month, Legal Shield will provide you unlimited access to qualified attorneys at an accomplished law firm for advice and counsel on legal issues no matter how serious or trivial. For over 40 years and with 1.4 million families across North America, Legal Shield can help you, the loyal GCN listener. Representatives are standing by now to answer your questions, so call them now at 1-855-340-SAVE. That's 1-855-340-7283 or visit them at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Results will vary from case to case. 
Hi, my name is DeRay, suffering from migraines, having Botox injections in my head and neck to alleviate pain, costing $1,500 out of my pocket. I discovered Dr. Ortman and Gentle Touch Chiropractic Adjustment called Nuka. I'm migraine-free since my first adjustment. Thanks for giving me my life back, Dr. Ortman. I wish they prescribed you instead of Botox. Thanks, DeRay. Putting the bones back in place is only half of the solution. We design a nutritional supplement program the body can handle, actually absorb, providing nutrients, targeting the problem area. Between Nuka and Nutrition, we will have you on the road to a faster and more permanent recovery. Look us up on the web at drortman.com or call 952-303-9124. Let us help you feel better faster. Wellspring Spinal Care at 952-303-9124. Again, that's 952-303-9124 or on the web at drortman.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. You know, I wish we didn't have a clock. Because we have to follow a specific schedule. It's computerized in the radio business with all the networks. And so we have to break at a specific time. And then sometimes a guest starts going and things just get fascinating. Like, what would Richard Dolan do with $100 million (laughs) with which to investigate UFOs? Well, you know, there are people out there who are willing to fund political campaigns. They'll give some of the craziest candidates on the planet, or at least here in the U.S., $100 million. Yeah, yeah, sick. Yeah. I think something else that could be done with that money would be to uh, find a way to jumpstart a kind of a broad, like to create the organization that that, that MUFON needs to be. Uh, in other words, to create a kind of public-based, uh, I, I don't even know if this is possible, but I think it should be possible, like a public-based um well, qualified UFO net- investigative, network. yeah, yeah, some kind of network. I, I mean, qualified, right? So I think that might be a good way to go. There's yeah, a, a research center. Um, get uh, outfit it with a, um, you know, some sort of analytical lab where you could analyze uh, rudimentary physical evidence, but but mostly uh, forensic visual evidence, um, uh, instrumented. Uh, data analysis, that sort of thing. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, and, and a research center. Gosh, you could just spend a few million dollars and have the a world class, you know, library of uh, of research materials. Absolutely. No. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think our history is actually an important part of this phenomenon. It's not yeah. simply getting the new stuff. It's actually, you know, preserving all of all of the old data that was collected by researchers from the, in the forties and fifties and sixties. Right, and collate all the best cases into a database exactly. worldwide, you know. Yeah, hire, hire archivists, hire analysts to go through it. Maybe train some people to go over and start dovetailing with uh, India, with China, with Indonesia, um, more, more inner uh, connectedness with South America and Latin-speaking countries. Africa is virtually untouched. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting question. Well, well do you think maybe one. it makes sense to pitch this? To the people who really have the money and are involved in politics, like the Koch brothers, they've got multiple billions of dollars, what, 50, 100 billion dollars. Can't they spend 100 million to check this out? Well, in theory, some of them have the cash. I, I don't have access to any of these people. So, 
if I had the ability to get in front of them and charm them and sweet talk them, hey, maybe it could happen. I don't know the Koch brothers. I don't know George Soros. I don't know any of these people. So um, it would be rather difficult for me uh, without an introduction. You know, The Waltons. We could say goodnight, Mary Ellen. Yeah, exactly. Good night, John Boy. It's a nice fantasy to think about. Uh, whether they would they would do it is uh, that's a whole other issue. But <laughs> you know who has the money? Paul McCartney. <laughs> he yeah, doesn't have he doesn't have Walton money. He doesn't have uh, Koch brothers money or he's got a billion dollars. Well, he got outbidded years ago by Michael Jackson over his own music, though, didn't he? Yeah, who wouldn't even sell him back one song? You know, the only song he wanted back, and that was yesterday, and, and Jackson wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, cool. I don't really know where else to go with this this uh, particular. Well, question. okay, so so we'll move it along here. Again, back to the skeptical thing. Um, you know, you've had to deal with them. I've had to deal with them. Um, I've had to deal with look in the mirror and deal with myself at times, which is I think healthy. To you, this again from Eric the Red. To you, what are the strongest skeptical arguments, and what are your replies to these things? Well, what, it has to, you know, what what skeptical arguments are we talking about? Well, just about? just in general. I mean, how often do you run into a skeptic? What's what's the first thing uh, or the most common thing that they uh, dog you about, and and how do you respond to it? Um, I would say one of the most common things that skeptics will offer is that what we consider to be UFOs are when they're anything at all, are classified technology. And, you know, the one thing that I keep coming back to is when I look at this phenomenon historically, I look at the earliest documents that we have available to us from the end of the Cold War, uh, excuse me, from the end of World War II, early Cold War, and I just keep coming back to the fact that we have documented airspace violations of very sensitive places, uh, many of them nuclear installations in the early nuclear uh, technology era, that show again and again objects described as either round in form or disc-shaped violating the airspace with maneuvers that were supposed to be impossible with attempted interceptions. And these, these are documented in some of these memos that were attempted and failed uh, right. that were taken seriously within the classified world. So I, I keep coming back to that and I ask myself, what, how is it that black budget technology can explain that? And I, I just don't have a good answer. Let it's me ask even- you a question here because it follows from that. Do you think there's anything in early UFO history that represents a military test, a military trick? And we'll give you an example of that. James Carrion had this book out called The Rosetta Deception. I don't know if you've seen it or heard of it. Suggesting the ghost rockets were just put-up jobs to spook the Russians for some reason during World War II. And I suspect he's going to do something with Roswell to indicate it's also a put-up job. Well, Joseph Farrell has approached that that whole sure. subject uh, extensively. That's right, he has. And uh, well, the interesting thing about Joseph, who I know fairly well, is that he is a personal believer in the extraterrestrial. Um, at least he he does not discount the ET possibility of the UFO phenomenon. I think he actually believes in it. He also believes that there's a tremendous influence from uh, German slash Nazi technology into what we call UFOs. And I think he's probably right. I think both of these. These are part of it. Uh, in terms of the ghost rockets, yeah, I'm aware that James Carrion made this argument. I, I really have to become acquainted with the details of the whatever archival sources he's uncovered. Mm, he he he's did uncovered. a good job with the research. Yeah. There's some pretty compelling stuff there. Could be. But not many people know about the ghost rocket waves around the Mediterranean. Right. No, that's exactly right. And um, 
what we do know is that U.S. military intelligence was on top of this situation, no matter what. I mean, we know that they shut down the Greek investigation in 1946. Paul Santorini, famous Greek scientist, talked explicitly about this 20 years after the fact. He said, when we came to the conclusion that these were not missiles, these were not Russian, he said an external government came in, he implied the U.S. and shut the whole, and caused us to shut the whole thing down. The Greek investigation. So the, the thing is this, though. When you're talking about a U.S. Uh, technology program, our own rocket program in 1946 was... It was uh, the German rocket program. To nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But even getting that off the ground, I mean, there is, there is no infrastructure that anyone really knew about that really, I think, could have been capable of doing this. If, if maybe no, he's connecting right. it to Pendamunda, but I, I don't really think that's viable. No. And, and, and with, I, with the range, by the way, uh, that, that would have been, uh, I think, tripled, actually, in one year's time from what the leading, uh, at least as far as the analysis that I remember reading, um, you know, with a vastly increased range, like almost overnight, over the V2s. So, well, and then also, you've got cases of uh, apparent landings, and in some cases, true. maneuvers that these things did. I don't think that I don't think it works to call them rocket. And by the way, then there is a declassified Swedish report that was not declassified until 1985. I don't know if James deals with this, but this is a very important statement in my opinion because what you had in, in the Swedes were looking into this in 1946, and in a very long-winded conclusion, they said, um, I "Wish I had it in front of me. I have it in my." one of my volumes. Um, basically, their conclusion was this looks like this is not of our civilization. They, they did a very kind of roundabout way of saying it, but that was their conclusion in 1946. So, again, uh, if this is classified U.S. technology, it was that good to make U.S.-Swedish allies, who the U.S. was conferring with at that time, by the way, believe that this was possibly interplanetary. Well, so I don't know. I'm I'm really uh, I'm not saying that there's no secret technology explanation to some of these early sightings, but no one's nailed it down. To be honest, I mean, hell, in 1997, the CIA made their famous uh, statement that you know more than half of all UFO sightings after the mid 1950s, going into the 60s, were of the U2 or the uh, or the A12 ox cart, and that's just totally specious and unfounded by any any research at all. If James has got something else, then all right, good. Uh, I, I should read it. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth it. Uh, I think it was giving it away online, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, currently offers the book from a link at his website. I think he's working on a modified edition with more information. So mm -hmm. it's good to look into all these possibilities. And not so his research, has to be he, dug a up some, he dug up some good stuff. Uh, yes, no he did. Let's do our break. He sure did. Please visit plus.thepowercast.com to check out our premium service. And after the Powercast, our new exclusive podcast, only available to Powercast Plus subscribers, plusthepowercast.com. Richard Dolan is our guest this week with Gene and Chris. You're in the Powercast. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk. For every political persuasion, we are GCN. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. 
A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. As if chlorine in our water weren't bad enough, now they're adding ammonia? It's true. Some municipalities are now adding ammonia plus chlorine to your water supply. It's a disinfectant called chloramine. But with a trusted Big Berkey water filter, you can keep chloramine out of your water. New NSF EPA certified lab tests show EPA Berkey water filters remove chloramines, pharmaceuticals, BPA, pesticides, bacteria and viruses, all forms of fluoride, and much more. Big Berkey water filters are the original and most trusted on the market. The gold standard in water purification. And our filters last for years at less than two cents per gallon. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get your Big Berkey today. Call 1-877-99-BERKEY or click BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We continue final four segments with Richard Dolan, who has written several very interesting UFO-related books, is writing a book about false flags as a UFO publisher. Why does anyone want to become a UFO book publisher, Richard? Tell me. <laughs> I did it as the only, it's the only way that I'm able to figure out how to do this uh, discipline full-time so that I don't have to have like a, a job working for Xerox. And so that, you know, I, I don't want to just devote myself to doing this part-time and I had to figure out a way to do it. So as a publisher so far, modestly, I'm able to uh, make this my primary way of paying my bills. Keeps my head in the game, so to speak. It keeps me on top of uh, some fascinating new authors that I'm actually very proud to be a publisher of. But that's really what it comes down to. When I started doing UFO research back in the early 90s, it was a time-consuming thing, and, and the only way I was able to do it is that I worked for myself as an independent writer back then. I, back then, I was writing professional resumes for people. I had uh, left the academic world in, uh, at that time, 94, 95. I know how to write. It's something that I've always been able to do well, and I would uh, have people come into my office, and I'd sit down with them, and I'd make them look beautiful on paper within the boundaries of truth. But because I worked for myself, I was able to set my own hours, and I was able to do a, a tremendous amount of UFO research in that way. But the fact was, I didn't want to write professional resumes for the rest of my life. Good grief. Uh, what I wanted to do was throw myself into this field full-time. And so I had to figure out, how do I do it? I've always been 
the kind of person who wants to work for myself. I'm not really good at working for a large company or a small company. I don't want to do that. Well, you know, the people who do best working for themselves are the kind of people who would be misfits in a big corporation. They'd either be bored to death or because they're independent thinkers. They get themselves on the wrong side of the relationship with the boss. That that's absolutely me. That's that fits me to a T. And um, I've just never been a really good organizational person. And um, I'm not saying that that makes me better or worse. It just makes it it's difficult for me to fit in like that. I've never been able to do that. And I will just add that I took a a huge financial hit throughout my entire life because of my decision. I left the academic world because I didn't want to go. I mean, the job market for historians bottomed out in the early 90s, and I don't want to go dragging my family looking for some adjunct position somewhere. I said, the hell, hell with that. And I had a five-minute conversation with myself, literally, whether I wanted to go into corporate America. I was in my early 30s, and after thinking about what my life would be like, I decided I would rather slip my wrists. I just couldn't do it. So that left me very few options. And I supported my family as my kids were growing up on a a very meager income, but I was earning my own money and I would not do it any other way. I'm obsessed with this phenomenon and I'm obsessed with this topic and and I don't want to be anything other than a writer for the rest of my life. How many kids do you have? I have two children. My son is 19. My daughter's almost uh, 17 now. Okay. So you have college bills. Uh, yeah, right. I do. That never goes away. The financial hassles never go away. But well, with the way the student loans are now, the loans never go away. No, it's a horrible. It's a. It's a terrible system based on thievery, in my opinion. That's a whole other topic. But for we me, can do another show I, on that alone. <laughs> for me, the only thing professionally that I want to do for the rest of my life is write. Public speaking, doing radio interviews, all of that is secondary. I just want to write. I don't want to dilute my time having to have a job where I have to work for some company which owns my body and soul for a certain number of hours a week. I just can't, I I couldn't do it. It would kill me. So the reason I have Richard Dolan publish, uh, Richard Dolan Press, formerly Keyhole Publishing, is that this is it. This is the only way that I can currently think of that will give me a certain level of independence so I can throw myself into this phenomenon with the amount of time that I feel that I want to give it. That if I find a better way in the future, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, you can start giving workshops and I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> Given a lot of authors some very good write, advice on writing. I feel like this is something that I figured out. Like, how do you actually write a book? Uh, how do you organize it? How do you, how do you go through the process? And um, I could give a workshop on that. Yeah, having a good copy editor is, is a, a real good thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, let's get to another subject that uh, kind of initially sort of uh, diverted you from the process of finishing up your third uh, uh, book in the in the series of UFO and the National Security State. And that was AD after disclosure. Yeah, We have yeah. a question here uh, from Last Laugh, who um, is a fairly new Sign up at uh, forum.theparacast.com where you can ask questions of our guests. And he's wondering, what good evidence have you seen that makes you think that something like a breakaway civilization is likely or possible? We were kind of toying around with that uh, subject a little bit by talking about, you know, possible Nazi technology uh, evolving uh, in a covert way. But, um, you know, I know this this subject has uh, has has fascinated you and you're one of the few people that really are willing to talk about it. What do you think? 
I, I am fascinated, but well, I coined the phrase uh, "breakaway civilization," and um, other people have have taken it up and talk about it. I, it's it's out there now. It's part of the currency. It's fascinating to me. Uh, it's like watching a little child that you <laughs> grow up and then just do, have its own life. I think I've always considered it a hypothesis that I think is a logical hypothesis. Um, there have been a couple of individuals from the classified world who give me good reason to continue promoting it. But the idea of a breakaway civilization, I think, is is actually alarmingly simple. We know that, at least in, in certain areas, the classified world has had certain key advantages over what we might call the white world, the black budget world, over the over the you know the non black budget world, um, and we also know that there are a, a large number of classified patents, uh, and many of these happen to be in the field of energy, by the way. So there are areas of intellectual um, effort that are off limits to um, to the public, uh, and that I don't think one can argue against. I went on a couple of. And one of the things that triggered my um, my interest and my idea of a breakaway civilization was a conversation I had with a, a, a civilian scientist who had done contract work uh, for the National Security Agency in the mid-1960s. And he's, this is a very brilliant man, and I know him very well. One day I'll, I'll toss his name out there, I swear I will. Um, but he said to me that NSA computers circa 1965 had a clock speed that he knew of, of 650 megahertz. Today, that's nothing, of course. In 1965, first of all, practically no one had computers. That clock speed was not reached by the consumer market until around the year 2000, which is 35 years later. So on that metric, at the very least, you could say the NSA was 35 well, years. That's a frightening statement. I had no right. idea. Right. So, um, and, you know, we, we hear these types of things coming out, these types of leaked uh, claims coming out. And I, I think there's a, enough of them out there that we have to take them quite seriously. So on, if, if that's the case, then what if, if there have been any retrievals of exotic technology in the form of UFOs ever? I believe the answer to that is yes. Let's factor that into the equation then. So I think what would happen is you've got a very, very deeply clandestine black budget world where you've got genius level scientists studying right, trillions of dollars missing so right so what, that's right so what what could they come up with left to their own devices um advances in our conventional technology absolutely could they come up with breakthroughs sure they could if they did come up with a breakthrough in energy or in propulsion these would not they could never be allowed just to leach out to the world they could not because there goes petroleum there goes that is such a revolutionary thing it would be kept classified, but that wouldn't mean that research would stop. So my thinking on this was simply that within the classified world, they would continue this research, keep it held back. Would they then be able to create their own versions of a flying saucer at some point? I think the answer is probably yes. And again, we have a lot of testimony. I mean, I remember reading uh, statements by James Goodall from the mid-1980s. James Goodall was a damn good journalist working Groom Lake back at that time. He developed a number of contacts who said famously, you know, in my opinion, we have things in the Nevada desert that would make George Lucas envious better than Star Wars, better than Star Trek, anything you see in the movies. This is mid-1980s. Let's get into more of this in our next segment with Richard Dolan and Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. <laughs> 
Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Usually, the older one gets, the less you are able to absorb amino acids and the less you are able to repair the 100 trillion cells of your body. As a result, you'll have less energy, your tissues will shrink, and you'll become wrinkled. An older person will typically injure more easily and heal more slowly. Not fun. However, if you can consume a protein powder that is easier to absorb, then you may be able to gain back some strength, muscle, and speed of recovery. One World Whey is a highly digestible whey protein powder that may be the perfect answer for you. My name is Errol. I'm 74 years old. You know, the taste of One World Whey is amazing. I play pickleball, and since taking One World Whey and your trace mineral supplement, I have more energy and recover faster from my working out. I used to take another grass-fed whey protein powder, but now I'm getting much better results using One World Whey. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products. Most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. 
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. By way of research, I was doing a little online research. We're talking about the speeds of computer processors, and he mentioned 600-some-odd megahertz. The Intel Pentium 3 with 1 gigahertz premiered in March of 2000. Okay, so it was less than a gigahertz before then. I remember when a 486 was like, whoa, you got a 486? Yeah, I remember. Well, I did my own research on this at some point, Gene, and I, I recalled. Con- I don't remember the numbers now, but I remembered concluding it was around 2000 when that number was surpassed. Yeah. So you're just this confirmed. sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At that point, Apple was using, of course, the PowerPC processor, and around 2000, 2001, they were hitting that range. But it wasn't just the gigahertz it's the efficiency and how well it works it's a lot more complicated than that yeah so. there's a lot of other metrics obviously yeah, oh yeah a lot of other metrics indeed yeah, but, but I mean, it's simply on on the 640 years ago yeah that's the big thing how could we have that when you know i had what a 25 megahertz processor on a mac back in like what 1990 it was fast yeah me too i had a, i was at an sx25 i think around that time well. <laughs> <laughs> We're dating ourselves with, with a dual with a dual diskette uh, boot drive. I think in there. I don't think I had a hard drive initially. <laughs> Listen, I remember buying a 100 megabyte 100 megabyte hard drive in 1989 for 1,200 dollars. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember getting these five megabyte hard drives at an office where I worked in the mid. 80s and it cost them like ten thousand dollars i bought my first computer in 87 had no hard drive it had a dual diskette and it was about twelve hundred dollars and it was slow it had eight i think it was at an eight megahertz clock speed i've got a thumb drive sitting here in front of me that's got four times that capability in terms of storage space yeah it's it's unbelievable i mean it's just incredible 25 30 years let's kind of move on we're kind of running out of time here the breakaway civilization though i guess i would just say um, I don't have what I would consider to be confirmed proof. Uh, and I also, what I would say is that one of the unforeseen things is I think it's not as far ahead of us as it would be if there were no internet. In other words, if we did not have the web of the last 20 plus years, I think that we would have zero ability to compete with a, a breakaway civilization. But I don't think that's the case. I think actually the development of the web and development of what we're, we're I mean, we're doing this cast right in this paracast right now and this would not have been possible really without without the internet and all the other types of um, amazing knowledge that we've been able to develop because we've shared information so we're leveling the playing field it has i think in an unexpected way it doesn't mean that they're not the black budget world's not vastly ahead nsa may have quantum computing right now it's very possible but because of the web because of the transformation of our civilization it's actually closed that gap i think considerably it's well, opinion. it's hard to it's hard to compete with trillions of dollars uh, in development money, and even Bigelow uh, in that type of scenario would be a real small fry. And look at the amount of, of sort of ability to uh, come up with NASA contracts and uh, pay for R and D and get that uh, foothold into the particular niche that he's decided to try to to fill. Do you think something like a, a Bigelow is just more window dressing, sort of, well, here's how a, you know, a fairly rich guy can go about 
having the only known private floating space station. I, you know, there's some parts of this whole uh, breakaway civilization thing that don't make sense to me. You know, where would we launch? Well, it depends on what you consider what is a breakaway civilization. It doesn't have to mean that you've got a, a, a base under the ground in Mars or the moon. I mean, it does. It could mean... Do you think that we have bases on Mars and the moon? I don't know that we don't have a base on the moon, to be honest. I, I mean, it's, I know this sounds insane, but I... No, um, it doesn't sound insane I, I at all to me. Entirely, Not at all. I think it's entirely possible. Mars, I don't, I don't know. If, we, if you have one on the moon, I, I don't see why you couldn't have one on Mars, to be honest. And, and where, I, where are they being launched from? Some, a place like Diego Garcia or some remote South you know, Pacific Island or, I mean, some Goldfinger type thing? Or is it privatized? It'd be uh, the easiest thing in the world to do it. Well, it would be the easiest thing in the world to do out of some Pacific atoll. The ability to have a... Um, is this government though? Is it private? Don't know, Chris. I mean, I, I suspect that the real power is quasi-private, quasi-government, quasi-public. I think that's how um, how it definitely works. And certainly, I don't think it's being run by the president of the United States. So if it's not being run by him, who's who's doing it? I mean, right. it's the guys who put the president into power. You have the top 80 wealthiest people in the world own half as much money as the bottom half of humanity. I'm not saying they're the ones. Occam's so razor. <laughs> yeah, darn, what was I just going to say here? I can't remember. Well, now. you're talking about you know, whether it's private or, or government, the actual, you know, how would I put it? I oh, guess oh, yeah, the moon, the moon. The one thing about the moon is I've, I've said this many times and I don't want to belabor it too many, but I've spoken at length numerous times at a conversation I had over a decade ago with Russell Targ, who was one of the scientists who developed the remote, remote viewing program out of SRI with uh, Hal Puthoff. Been on the show. And, and Russell, Russell told me on the phone, had a long conversation with him on one occasion. He said, Richard, in the early 1980s, I was charged with training remote viewers out of Fort Meade, Maryland, whose job was to remote view the far side of the moon. It's exactly what he said to me. And there was a little bit of a pause. I said, well, why would they do that, Russell? Because I wanted him to tell me. I didn't want to be the one to blurt it out. He said, well, why do you think? So he threw it right back at me. And I said, okay, well, were they looking for ET on the backside of the moon? He said, yes, that's what their job was. They were going to look for ET on the backside of the moon. I'm not joking. That's what he said to me. And I said, did they find ET? And he said, well, that wasn't part of my uh, job. I don't know. I will say, and I've always said this, that I believe that he was telling me the truth. And if, if you've got a program where you've got remote viewers looking for ET on the far side of the moon, you're not just going to be doing that on a lark. You're going to have a reason to think that you're going to find ET on the far side of the moon. And that tells me that there's a classified component of a U.S. space program, almost certainly, that has to do with the far side of the moon. What about that strange object on a large asteroid that we've yeah, been recording series. in recent no, days? series. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I'm following it like anybody else. I don't think I have any better insights. It's, you know, you've got astronomers saying it could be ice reflection. Um, it doesn't look like it would be to me, but I don't want to debate these people yet about it. I think it's fascinating. I mean, it's very interesting. Well, before we get to um, a couple of other, I think, uh, topics that are going to take a little bit of, of time, Here's a good question from Pagusta, who um, doesn't come out and ask questions very often, but you brought him out, or her out, I'm not sure. It talks about disclosure, that the big, uh, or little d, uh, depending mm -hmm. on how you want to look at it. But do you think it's possible the reason there has been no formal disclosure is the fact that the government or governments pretty much only know what that there is something strange going on in our skies, but they can't fully explain it or determine the nature and origin of the phenomenon. They basically have nothing substantial to disclose other than the fact that UFOs seem to exist, but they don't know what they are or where they come from. Well, this is a, a, an argument that was actually very dominant during the 1950s and 60s um, and through most of the 70s. 
where, you know, when the government was able to uh, state, you know, point blank, look, it's maybe there's a mystery here, but we don't really know what it is and we're doing the best we can. And, you know, that's why we had Project Blue Book. The problem with that argument, as I see it anyway, is that once you start getting to the late 1970s and you start getting researchers like Leonard Stringfield, primarily, who start having stories come to him about crash retrievals, about bodies, uh, not just one or two, but dozens and scores of them. And you start getting, you know, other other researchers looking into what appear to me anyway to be legitimate cases of retrieval of downed UFOs. Let's do the break now, here and we'll find out more about that. And Leonard Stringfield, whom I knew very slightly years ago. Richard Dolan with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. <laughs> Minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. Have you ever wondered if you could make electric, light, or heat in your home for free? How about a motor that charges batteries at the same time? What if this also restores useless batteries and saves you lots of money? Come to our Renaissance Charge Conference Workshop on August 15th and 16th in Fort Lauderdale. Visit r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com for details. Or call 208-304-2954. 208-304-2954. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. As if chlorine in our water weren't bad enough, now they're adding ammonia? It's true. Some municipalities are now adding ammonia plus chlorine to your water supply. It's a disinfectant called chloramine. But with a trusted Big Berkey water filter, you can keep chloramine out of your water. New NSF EPA certified lab tests show EPA Berkey water filters remove chloramines, pharmaceuticals, BPA, pesticides, bacteria and viruses, all forms of fluoride, and much more. Big Berkey water filters are the original and most trusted on the market. The gold standard in water purification. And our filters last for years at less than two cents per gallon. Big Berkey, the one that's powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water. Get your Big Berkey today. Call 1-877-99-BERKEY or click BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY. Big Berkey Water Filters, for the love of clean water. Honey, it's time for dinner. What are you doing over there on your computer? I'm shopping for a new wallet. Mine is falling apart. Hey, did you know there's a company called ID Stronghold that makes shielded wallets to prevent electronic pickpocketing? Oh, I didn't realize there was such a thing as electronic pickpocketing. What is that? Well, apparently, many of the new credit and debit cards being issued have radio chips inside them called RFID that transmit our banking information to card readers when we pay. Unfortunately, a bad guy can also get one of these readers and go around the city scanning people, collecting their credit card numbers and personal information without us knowing it. Wow, that sounds scary. Since you're getting a new wallet anyway, you should definitely get an ID Stronghold shielded wallet. Are they more expensive? No. In fact, I can get a shielded leather wallet from IDStronghold.com for the same price or less than regular unshielded wallets from other stores. Sounds great. 
My wallet isn't falling apart yet, but let me pick one out too. I want to be protected, and these wallets at IDStronghold.com look fantastic. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, all those cases of crash retrievals. Right. I want to ask this question here. So, I, I I personally think that there has been acquisition of technology and probably bodies. And if you've got that far along in, into this, then you, you can't really just say, oh, well, we've got this mystery and we're, we don't really know what it is. Someone's got some information. Now, what I would say is that it's entirely probable, in my opinion, that the United States president and the formal structure of power is probably not completely in the loop on this. Uh, I had a conversation, and again, this is, I don't have a whole lot of anonymous deep throat contacts, but, and I don't like actually, you know, relying on them in discussion, but I, I will just say this is an individual who was well known to me and was well known to the world who was, uh, very high up in the U S intelligence community. I had a long conversation with this gentleman about this topic. And, uh, one thing I said is how much do presidents know about UFOs or ET or anything like that? And he said, well, some have known more than others. And he made a very basic statement to me. He's an exceptionally intelligent man. That uh, he said, "Look, presidents come and go. Some of them even some of them are not psychologically reliable or stable. Some of them drink." That's what he said. This is when George W. Bush was president during this conversation. And he said, "The lifers—they're here to stay. They—they they know that not every president really is." Um, is a good person to be dealing with on this topic. And by, you know, he said also, look, presidents are public relations. They have to kiss the babies. They have to shake the hands of dignitaries. They're going to do all these other things. And you've got not simply the ET phenomenon, you have a whole array of deeply classified black budget programs that have to be kept away from the president uh, for plausible deniability. And we all know about this. So he said, in fact, that some presidents have known and some have not known. Uh, some have known more than others. So if that being the case, then really what could a president even disclose? Uh, who would be the agency that would have the knowledge to disclose this information? It's well, almost they, like the movie Independence Day, where they have that secret right. base at Area yeah, 51 right, right. with president. the spaceship that had been captured, and the president knew nothing about it. 
Plausible I mean, we have, we have this kind of uh, grade school view, at, I think, at times when we look at our government and we think, exactly. oh, well, we elect this person. I mean, we dovetailed from a conversation about breakaway civilizations that are probably, you know, uh, funded in, in, you know, by the government but administered by private the private sector. Um, so, you know, if if we do have that scenario where we have this information and and the real juicy stuff is being held by by in private hands. I mean, it's out of out of reach of any sort and, of uh, and government oversight. I, I think that's exactly right. And a lot of the funding, I think, is private anyway. You've got a whole narco trafficking industry, a whole banking uh, fraud industry where uh, this money goes missing. And um, I I don't know for sure where that money goes. I'm not part of that club, but um, I have to assume. Well, what do you think about all these stories that have been coming out recently um, about the elite or preparing uh, for the for the meltdown and their un- underground bunkers and their privately owned islands and and this sort of thing? Uh, do you think that's all just sensationalism to titillate the uh, you know the more conspiracy minded of us? Or I think some of them have been, to it. I think some of these stories that have leaked out are are probably bogus. Uh, there was a story that came to Camelot a few years ago about a Norwegian, some, I think, Norwegian member of government who said, uh, you know, Nibiru's coming. I think that was it. And we're expecting, you know, we have to go into our underground bunkers. And I'm, I was like, come on, let's get real here. Um, but certainly One of those today. <laughs> the, are there, they're still talking about this? Yeah, there was another story like that today. Really? Oh, God. It's been um, debunked. You'd think that they that would be done by now, but all right. I mean, 2012 came and went, and you know. Uh, but no, I think that those people at the very top of the human pyramid, I have we have to assume that they've got they've got their uh, you know emergency plans in order. Of course, they have to, and in the ability to have sophisticated, large underground bases, we've we've had that capability for generations. And um, the technology to build them, the money to do it has all been there for decades and decades and decades. And that includes, by the way, uh, under the floors of the oceans. Uh, as long as the geology is right, you can do it. All you need is oxygen and you need a source of energy. And if you know how to take oxygen out of the water, which we've been able to do since the 50s, no problem. You have a little source of geothermal or even nuclear, you're good to go. So you could really have a secure base well, Almost early anywhere. Well, one of your former authors, Richard Sauter, uh, he spent years combing through every appropriations bill passed by Congress, uh, yeah. administration by administration by administration, and could find not a single dime or penny of funding for 127 acknowledged underground facilities. That's exactly right. Yeah, Richard, uh, I just communicated with him recently. I published one of his books, Hidden in Plain Sight, which I think is his best book, honestly. And he's done great work. There's always more work to be done on this, but you're exactly right, Chris. And then, yeah, where did the money go that funded all of these? And then some of the plans that we know were on the table. Well, where did the, the money come from? Yeah, well, they've been building basically. I mean, they, they, the Germans were masters at it, and we appropriated That's right. That technology. Well, here's here's one. You you mentioned that you have a deep throat source, and you know from time to time sources do appear, and it's happened to me. It's happened to, to you know most people that that really are serious about investigating and and researching these you know various subjects that we're talking about on the Paracast. But this is another question from Pagusta or Pagusta. He would like to know more about your vetting process that you use when it comes to sources and what criteria do you have to determine if that source is credible or not? Obviously looking them in the eye and, and seeing somebody that's a little bit off kilter 
uh, that's that's always a red flag for me. But uh, in some of these real qualified sources, highly intelligent people don't want their name out there, but they're either supporting things that you're saying, leading you in a direction. That's often a, a telltale thing for me, a, legitim- a legitimacy, a point of legitimacy is when they don't tell you something, but they suggest maybe you sh- should start looking over here. Yeah, well, that, those types of sources are an extremely minimal part of my uh, of my research. It's very limited. Uh, but they've had some explosive things to say to me. So how would I vet someone? A, I, I have to know who they are. I have to know who the person is. Uh, my best sources are, are famous people themselves. And I'm thinking of two in particular who are exceedingly well-known, not only to myself. One of them is very well-known to me. The other is fairly well-known to me. And they're both highly public personalities. Not that they're out in front of cameras, but like you could Google them and find out a whole lot of information about these people. So, uh, and I know what their careers have been. Uh, a lot of that's public knowledge. So when, when I get a source like that and I get to sit down with them alone for like several hours alone, one-on-one, which has been the case at times. Yes. I consider that more legitimate than, um, than someone who just writes to me in an anonymous email. Uh, people who write to me anonymous emails, that's happened, are not people whose, uh, whose information I would ever use in a, in a public discussion ever. Like I would, I would just not publish anything like that. I just, I have, I don't think I've ever done that. And I've never incorporated any of those, uh, types of statements in any of my writings or public discourses. There well, have I been, I could people, say that. I don't think I ever have. There, now, there have been people who've come up to me at conferences that I've spoken to who have told me about some very bizarre encounters that they have had. Uh, people ranging from retired uh, Air Force colonels with PhDs to, uh, to housewives who never had a career outside the house. And, um, and in those cases, like, you know, I take names, information, I'd find out who they are. And then I just talk with them. And, and you yeah, know, in cases like that. Time, often. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, if I'm lucky, I get a half hour. You know, there's someone. one exception to this rule, though, Richard. And that is the anonymous source that comes forward. And you have not published information about a particular, let's say, sighting or, or uh, event or sighting wave. And they... Mm-hmm synchronistically inadvertently confirm something that you're you're investigating that has not been published yet those i take seriously let's I take agree. this seriously and we'll be back with the final segment with richard dolan and gene and chris richard you're gonna do it this time you're in the paracast independently leading the way for the nation compelling talk for every political persuasion, we are GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many 
formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. Extend your life with ExtendoVite. Hey, neighbor, what are you doing digging? You had a heart attack last year. Oh, I know. I was told no more hard labor. Then why are you digging? Well, I've been taking ExtendoVite. It's been approved to help my heart. ExtendoVite? Is that a new drug? No, not a drug. It's uh, more like an herbal combination made from garlic and cayenne. Herbal? How can that help? Well, actually, we've taken herbs for thousands of years, and ExtendoVite is doing the job for me. Does your doctor know about ExtendoVite? Yeah, my doctor knows, and he said it seems to be working for you, so don't stop taking it. I feel great taking ExtendoVite. I don't want to stop. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with ExtendoVite. Pharmacist Ben Fuchs knows the importance of proper digestion. Make sure you take a look at the ultimate enzyme product. They're made with bile salts and fat digestion enzymes and protein digestive enzymes. And not only do the ultimate enzymes give you obvious benefits for digestion, but they can also help keep your blood flowing through your circulatory system. As most of you probably know by now, thick, sludgy, clotting blood is a serious risk factor for heart disease and stroke. Clearly, inappropriate and excessive blood clotting is a major health issue, and thick, sludgy blood is not just about heart health either. Sludgy blood can compromise oxygenation and nutrient delivery to all your cells and tissues and organs and ultimately lead to almost any health issue you can name. Concerned about proper digestion and heart health? Order Ultimate Enzymes by calling 866-735-2470. That's 866-735-2470 or on the web at brightsidebed.com. That's brightsidebed.com. Order today. It's time to build your own emergency food stockpile with the industry leader, My Patriot Supply. Once you try them, you'll know why so many Americans like you have made them part of their emergency preparedness plan. Experience the My Patriot Supply difference today with this unbelievable offer. Right now, a four-week food supply is only $99, and that includes free shipping. That's 50% off the online price. Call 800-274-3070 to claim yours. Limit two per caller while supplies last. This offer isn't available online, so you want to make sure and grab this opportunity to get prepared today. 800-274-3070 to get your four-week food supply for the incredible price of only $99, and it'll be shipped to you completely free. Call 800-274-3070 right now. That's 800-274-3070 to claim yours while supplies last. Don't wait. Call today. Hello, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Doesn't he do that? All right. Did I do good? 
<laughs> okay, he's up there with Bryce Sable and <laughs> yeah. Nick Redfern. Suck on that, bitches. Alejandro does very well also. <laughs> I, am I allowed to say that? I thought this I, was a... You know, uh, I'm not sure, Richard. Do, but- I, I say the craziest things when I'm alone in my house, but... Well, that's why you, you're probably talking to yourself. <laughs> Because there are people right now in your neighborhood who are just running out screaming, oh, that guy Dolan is doing it again. Let me out of here. (laughs) All right. (laughs) What is this show about? I forgot. We're in the final final throws. Yeah. uh, Throw somewhere. I haven't figured out where. Suck on this sucker. It's always plural, bitches. If if you say bitches, that means it's not sexist or misogynist. Right. You know, this is going to be a little (laughs) excessive, folks. Let's try our remaining... Nine minutes or so to deal with a few more listener questions. Are we recording this now or not? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, don't, don't include any of the things that I just said. <laughs> it's too late. Damn you, Steinberg. I'm a lot more fun off camera, admittedly. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. You're, you're in trouble, dude. I guess we just... Oh. But good thing you used the S at the end of the B word. Go on with the listener questions. I, I will. Okay. Eric the Red, again, uh, asked 13 questions, and, and I think some of them are very, very good. This is one that I think you'll appreciate a lot. And, and he's wondering about your sense of what the current size and activity of the so-called Invisible College of Academics who are interested in the UFO subject. Of course, Invisible College, I think it was a term that Valet came up with um, in the 70s, I think, late yeah. 60s, early 70s. Yeah. What is its historical trend? First of all, you know, you know the, what's the history of this uh, term? And has there been more or less interest over time by these academics? And then he says, in a related way, how often are you contacted by academics who express discrete interest in the topic of UFOs but are afraid to make this interest known publicly? Good question. Well, well, let, me, let me answer. It is a good question. I, I don't know if I'm able to answer all of it, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, Valet coined that phrase in the early 70s, I think. And um, I, I get periodic inquiries, correspondence from academicians, uh, many of whom are retired. A high percentage of them are retired academics. So that tells you something right right there. They um, don't feel comfortable writing to me until they're, they don't have any job security worries. That has happened. I, did, I had one very interesting uh, academician who contacted me. This is a number of years ago. He told me he was the department chair over at UCLA. So he's not an in, a not insignificant man. And um, he called actually just to tell me he admired my work. And I was gratified to hear that. And uh, I said, why are you whispering into the phone? And he didn't realize he was whispering, but he had been. And he, and he laughed. He said, oh, well, I guess I don't want my, uh, my colleagues to be aware that I'm interested in this subject. It wouldn't go very well for me, which is, of course, it's the rule in academia. I get, I'll get like a couple of um, PhDs and academicians, university people each year who will write to me as fans. Um, or actually, increasingly now, people working on their PhDs, younger people I'm finding, are... Um, are interested and are writing to me about this, which I find encouraging. But I don't know how large this invisible college is. Um, I don't really have my finger on that pulse anymore. I'm, I've been out of the academic world myself for a long time. I don't know. Well, okay. I, and I can appreciate that. Of course, Valet, you know, being Mr. Mover and Shaker and Hynek's protege and all that, you know, 50 years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, he was in a much better place to 
to garner that sort of, uh, you know, I think at the time sort of innocent interest by academia. Uh, the environment was a lot different back then than it is now or when you started getting involved in the late 90s. But yeah. this is a really good question. And, and this is one that um, I don't think anybody's ever asked me this. And I'd be very interested to get your answer. From your initial encounter with the UFO topic until now, have you undergone any dark night of the soul in trying to reconcile where you think the evidence is pointing with the fact that the majority of our most prestigious scientists and academics presumably reject the UFO subject as a field worthy of study? Have Absolutely. You found, have you found this alienating or, or cause for self-doubt? Uh, or Yes, all of that. All have of that. you ever lain awake at night yes, puzzling yes, over how this bizarre state of you know, blah, blah, Absolutely. blah? Uh, is it you that's crazy or is it the world, basically, yeah, is no, he I, saying? Have I, you ever I, had that I, thought? Absolutely, yes, I have, uh, more than once. And, um, you know, I mean, it would, be, it would be foolish and dishonest to say, oh, no, I've never had doubts about any of the things that I've concluded um, because I haven't, I haven't shaken hands with an alien being. I haven't seen a UFO land in front of my house. I've seen, on two occasions, what I think might have been an interesting UFO, personally, but that, that's fairly pedestrian, to be honest with you. So... Um, this is the, the difficulty of this field, which is that you're researching, you're walking this line uh, on, and on one side of it is evidence that, that you acquire, that I've acquired, uh, that many people have acquired through documentation, through sightings, and through testimony and so forth. And some of that's very, very powerful. Uh, that's why I'm in this field. I think the declassified documents are extremely powerful. On the other side of it, where I, I live in a world, we live in a world where there is no official acknowledgement of the reality of this phenomenon, where it is ridiculed, where it's ignored by the established intellectual hierarchy of our society. It's not and good so, cocktail subject to cocktail party subject. And on top of the fact that I personally have not had what I would say is personal interactive proof. So in, in lieu of that, there's always going to be an area of doubt when you're um, moving down this path of ex exploring it. But we have to keep in mind, I mean, my way of resolving it is, is um, to remind myself that all explorers of the human past, I mean, every single one, when they're going down, when they're going into the ocean or they're going into a new intellectual path, the fact is that they don't know where they're going to end up either. They're going, uh, it's, partly based on their knowledge and on their best guess and partly on an act of faith, a leap of faith that their reason is taking them into a fertile area of exploration. Wow. And that's, that's what this is. And so you've got, um, it's human nature to freak out every now and then and say, what am I doing? Oh, I've done it, you know, and it happened more in the early years, uh, than recently. I mean, you, I've learned to develop a very thick skin being in this field. If, you, if you're going to be public in the field of UFO research in any way, you better have a thick skin or don't even bother. So a lot of things that come at me, um, honestly, like they would have bothered me 15 years ago. They don't, they don't even register now. I actually literally don't care about most of it. Intellectually, though, I mean, I went through a number of dark nights of the soul, primarily in terms of reconciling what I thought I knew about the world and what what this phenomenon seems to be telling me. And it's, it's shattered and made me reform my own paradigm of reality a number of times since. Probably Richard Dolan, would you tell our listeners where they can find more of the stuff that you do? Absolutely. My, my main website is richarddolanpress.com. That's got my work on there, as well as works of authors that I publish. I'm very proud of those, those individuals. I have an active Facebook page. I'm maxed out with friends, but you can always follow me on Facebook. I have a lot of people there. 
I catch him on Facebook at Unopportune Times. Richard, come on the show. And he always says yes. Okay, you can find us on Facebook, too. There are two official Paracast fan clubs. You can't combine them without killing the other. And I'm just reluctant to decide which one gets terminated with extreme prejudice. On Twitter, we're known as the Paracast. Chris O'Brien has graciously donated a copy of Stalking the Tricksters, the ebook version to give away if you subscribe to the Paracast Plus for a year or more. What's the Paracast Plus? Well, go to plus.theparacast.com to figure out what it's all about. We give you all the instructions there, and you have to take a couple of minutes to read it. It's not as easy as we'd like it to be, but we're working on it. You get the ad-free version of the show, free of 41 minutes of network ads, better quality audio, And we've got one extra thing that we have now called After the Paracast, a special podcast, sometimes with guests, sometimes with commentaries, only to members of the Paracast Plus. You get Chris's ebook, Stalking the Tricksters, if you subscribe for one year or five years. It's not that expensive, really. You know, get a Starbucks coffee and you've paid for those subscriptions in not too much time. Really, seriously. Chris's site is OurStrangePlanet.com. That's OurStrangePlanet.com. You go there, and if you want, you can donate to his San Luis Valley camera project to get that thing moving even further along. Been a fun session here. We didn't get to all the questions, believe it or not. Richard Dolan, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, Chris. It's uh, always a pleasure talking with you guys. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>